Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where today we finally put a bow on the year of all years by going back in the time machine to December 2001. As this is the season for strange seasonal references, I am your host, Rory McNamara, with much in common with Ebenezer Scrooge over the next two hours, I'm afraid to say. But joining me today, we have therefore Pete Bob Cratchit Kimber. Pete, don't worry, I'm not going to make you work Christmas morning. Best thing I've ever had that one, Rory, thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> to be all of two minutes. And whether it's metaphysically possible or not, that makes Dalmuir the ghost of Christmas past present. I feel like I should have thought about that one more as well. I'm just thankful to be a ghost. I thought we might enter into that all my sectarianism if you called me Tiny Tim in Western <laughs> Never once considered it for that very reason, yeah. I suppose I could have asked you the question before, before we went up on air, but it's one of those where I probably didn't really want to know the answer and what side of the fence I could come down on. Of all the times for religion, I hardly feel Christmas is an apt time. <laughs> Uh, we bring them all together on this show. Uh, Peter, I think it is very appropriate now for us to go through the real news that's been happening this month. Why don't you give me some headlines and I'll tell us what's all been going on. Spitzville, USA. Yeah, the big news this month is that the long-mooted splitting of the rosters could be occurring as soon as January 2002. If you remember, the original plan for the WCW invasion, we're still going to mention it, even if they're not, was to have a WWF and WCW program airing on separate days each week. That idea has been developed into what looks like being two distinct rosters, one for Raw on Mondays and one for SmackDown on Thursdays. The tentative plans are for Vince McMahon to head up one show and Ric Flair the other, re their supposed 50-50 ownership of the company, with some form of draft pick episode taking place, possibly shortly after the Royal Rumble. And the match between the 250 plus is at the same show. And more on that later, by the way. This also means there will be at least one more pay-per-view added to the annual count. So more work for us next year after all. It is believed that the top talent will be equally positioned between Raw and SmackDown so as to not make one more top heavy than the other. Although many commentators believe that Vince won't be able to help himself as far as making Raw the A-show in all but name is concerned. One method they are deploying in order to avoid a two-tier system, though, Apparently, house show loops will have members of both rosters on them, which, given recent shows, have been headlined by the likes of Edge Christian and Hardy's Dudleys to increasingly sparse crowds, is very wise indeed. Undisputed champion, Y2J. Yes, the outcome of the mini-tournament to proclaim the undisputed champion of the world at the Vengeance pay-per-view in San Diego on December the 9th was indeed Chris Jericho coming out on top defeating both The Rock and Steve Austin on the same night. As you can imagine, the fact that those two did not face each other at any point, despite it being heavily teased over the last few weeks, hardly went down with the crowd or the pay-per-view audience. But Jericho was the champion, and perhaps more surprisingly, still is the champion. We'll give you a full review of that show later on. Click, click, boom. As you will no doubt have heard if you watched even just a few seconds of WWF programming this month, Triple H will be returning on the January the 7th edition of Raw, live from Madison Square Garden. There had been whispers he could have done a run-in during the Survivor Series main event, or indeed at the Vengeance pay-per-view. You know, the one he was on the poster for and based around a sledgehammer motif. But to his credit, he didn't want to make any appearance until he deemed himself fully fit. He is the odds-on favourite to win the aforementioned Royal Rumble. And I think for now, I'll refrain commenting on that one. Possibly joining him in the coming weeks are his old click compadres, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Although whether he will merely be the designated driver this time out is currently unclear. 
Original negotiations with Nash fell through over a disagreement with the amount of dates he would be required to work per month. I'm sure that one shocked you. He initially only wanted to do 12 days per month, as many as that. But at time of writing, it does appear that talks have been remounted. A very important point to note, Nash's AOL contract finally expires on January the 1st. But WWF aren't as enthusiastic rebringing in Hall, for reasons that should be obvious. But wherever the big man goes, the medium-sized man doth follow. And that's not all. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, welcome back, Sean Michaels. Yes, remember when the return or non-return of HBK was an easy news story for us every month? Well, he made an appearance on WWF Access this month, in which amongst praise for Triple H and Bret Hart, he dropped quite the intriguing hint when he said he misses wrestling every now and then. He also made reference to his newfound faith, although an outright health update is still forthcoming. He then showed up at a SmackDown night in WWF New York, where in amongst the usual glad handing, he told the gathered fans that if anyone wants to know if he is getting back in the ring, ask management because I don't even have the keys to the door anymore. It should be noted that Michaels did mean that literally. Back in the day, he did have his own set of keys to Titan Towers, as I'm sure Chris Candido would now be able to attest. On the topic of Tom Wagging, there's more of that that HBK could be joining Hall, Nash and Triple H as a heel group, although I'd wish them all good luck with maintaining that one. Some sources have it they would begin an instant feud opposing one of, or maybe even both, Austin and Rock. All eyes on January the 7th. The King wasn't dead. He was just taking a break. Maybe. As mentioned last month, Jerry Lawler made his return to the announced position on Raw and pay-per-view, and we now have a bit more news on that. Apparently, his return was not confirmed until very close to the edition of Raw on which he did eventually turn up. In an interview with WPB, you never get these acronyms right, WPFBAM in Cincinnati, Ohio on November 21st, what's wrong with just Radio West Midlands? He said, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride and there were times I thought I would be back and then there were other times I thought I would never be back. Finally, I went into Vince's office. This is when they were in Memphis for SmackDown a few weeks ago and I was basically made to feel really welcome. He gave me a big hug and said, King, this is your home. And whenever you get your personal problems straightened out, we would love to have you back. I presume there was a ha 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 pal in there as well. The surprising thing was that last week I got a call, this is Lola talking, I should say, that they wanted to do business and they weren't worried about the divorce. The divorce he speaks of is that of he and Stacey Cat Carter. You know, the same Stacey Cat Carter he supported by walking out in the company in the first place. Something, something, puppy in the doghouse this time. Something, something. Dell, lots there to potentially get our teeth into for 2002 when we do our little preview later in the show. But for now, I think the big news has to be the long-mooted brand split. We've talked about it on and off for the last year and a half, really, ever since the first knockings were dropped on our doorstep to mix metaphors nice and early, that WWF are going to buy WCW. We didn't get the two companies competing against each other the way everybody wanted, because, of course, we didn't. But... McMahon on one side, Flair on the other, and the promise to split the rosters evenly. I'll believe that bit when I see it. What are your thoughts on something that could be happening in just a couple of weeks? Yeah, but I think the, the big news clearly is the fact that Miss Kitty is now available, Rory. I mean, <laughs> it's something I've waited. Oh, sorry, the brand split. Um, well, I mean, I was somewhat relayed myself with it. I've, I've clearly put you in touch. Prescience on one part of the news this month, but uh, I mean, I suppose the brand slat is also kind of interesting if you cast your eyes aside from the now Miss Carter again. Um, I think, as you say, it's something we've we've spoke about. I mean, it's something that everybody's kind of dreamed about for years. Like, what would happen 
if all these people were under the same roof and they were all under the same pencil, and now we might actually be seeing it. I mean, well, if, after the last kind of nine months, I think we're all going to take it with a baggy salt on how much is actually going to come to fruition and who's going to be available. And But it certainly sounds with, with the, kind of the stuff that we've been reading, particularly in the last few weeks of the year, with contracts now running out with, with Time Warner and people becoming available, and then the the almost kind of never-ending pursuit of getting these brands finally split, and it will, by all kind of rumours that we hear, be a, be a pretty steadfast split where there are going to be specific rosters on specific brands on specific shows where apparently no intermingling apart from kind of off-TV stuff and perhaps bigger pay-per-views. But... Um, I think tying in with that, some of the news that we did go through when you're talking about the brand split and then you're talking about some people that maybe were once up north and then down south maybe coming back up north again. It's certainly, I think the most diplomatic way to put it at the minute is intriguing. Um, as I say, after the last few months, I'll bide my time on that. But it certainly seems as if it's going to be something that's, dare say, worth our attention, if no less. Yeah, I should say as well that there are plans afoot, although this probably won't happen until the back part of 2002, if not a bit later, is to outright split pay-per-views as well. So apart from the big four, Raw will have their own pay-per-views and SmackDown will have theirs, which again, I'm still concerned might create a two-tier system because you're divvying out the B pay-per-views there. And will what we now know as B shows eventually become C shows? I think it's a bit of a concern. Pete, we talked about this when we discussed the first buyout, as we thought, in way back at the very start of this year when it was all fields around here. Now we might have something kind of akin to that happening now before our eyes in just a couple of weeks' time. What do you reckon and how do you think that's going to shake down? I was just going to say I was part of that rather depressing end of WCW <laughs> uh, situation, wasn't I? There weren't many WCW shows we did towards the end that couldn't be well, described that's as depressing. True. Really. Almost the very last one in our, our talking I outright changed the format of the show in order to get through. In true, in true. And obviously my hopes very much rose tinted at that time for the future of WCW in WWF was... Still no Jerry Flynn either, by the way. Yeah, well, you know... I can't I'll even, give you a Christmas present there. I, I can't even... No, I can't <laughs> even talk about that. I still, that still haunts me. Um, I think this... The, on paper, this looks better. It's a better idea. You've got... You're not relying on WCW talent in the sense of they just come out of there and come into WF. We've now had the whole invasion. We've had that end. It's been put to bed. Okay, it's good to have Flair in that sense, who is a, is a is a figurehead. Although I think we'll talk about it later on, but didn't start great, but it's heated up a little bit now with him and Vince sort of going head to head. I'm glad. Well, I thought we had Steph out of the way until she's appeared, isn't she, on the back end of the programming at the end of the month? Which is we lasted we lasted six weeks. Yeah, six weeks. I was hopeful she, <laughs> her and Shane would be well away from all of this, and we just get. Vince against Flair and, and do it that way. But I think it's the, the way they split it will be interesting. I think you're right about Vince will want, you'd imagine, Austin and Rock and maybe, you know, Angle and Jericho go over there to SmackDown with Flair. But you just know how it's going to work, really. But it makes more sense. It's a better plan, I would say. It's got more chance of working and being more consistent over the next 12 months in, 20, um, in 2002. So I'm hopeful, but I was hopeful, wasn't I? a little while ago so who's to say that Vince won't completely cut this up as well but it, ma- it makes more sense I think it's good to have two shows running 
differently with different storylines, different characters going on, a chance to to build build people into headline spots. There'll be more chance to do so, hopefully. Uh, let's just see how it goes. But I think having Flair and McMahon at the, at the helm is a bit better than than having all the other stuff they had before. A bit gutted probably that Heyman probably didn't get his chance to be. I know he's been in the background of it point. all. A bit of a shame he wasn't get a chance to really go head-to-head with Vince, as it were. That would have been quite a nice six months, wouldn't it, of TV with those two up ahead against each other. But I think he's in the background somewhere. And I think he did big up Flair as well, didn't he? I think as well, coming coming over. And we'll see. But I think, you know, let's say, a bit like uh, Dell, I'm, I'm intrigued. And dare I say, teensy bit excited, if that's really sad to say. But you never know, do you? I, I'm, I'm never either the optimist, never the hopeful kind of person. So there we go. A teensy bit excited this the season i think it's a question for either one of you have they got the roster depth to do this and i don't mean in terms of quantity because they still got a lot of leftovers from the great buyout of nine months ago but i mean in terms of quality i was looking at the entire roster just before it went up on air and with the best will in the world i think the pay-per-view kind of bears this out as well when we get there shortly spread a little on the thin side and you know, a very much thin gruel I know all of us need to be having a bit of that when January rolls around anyway, but I wouldn't want to take it quite that literally. Uh, so do you think they could really fill out these shows two hours Monday, two hours Thursday and a three hour pay-per-view every other month sufficiently? I would say tag teams struggling massively, mm. oh, yeah. hugely. There's, I can't. I mean, the fact that we've got Scotty Too Hotty and uh, Hip Hop Hippo as a, as a new combo. <laughs> is a worrying sign, isn't it? Um, and they're looking at something in the future with those two is a bit of a worry. So they're going to have to create um, some teams or pick on some old ones from the past because you can't keep having the Hardys and the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, even though they're kind of singles champions now. And obviously the Hardys are going through their own split, as it were. So they've got to do something about the tag team division more so quickly, I think. That's the biggest, uh, the biggest area for concern, I would say. What's the biggest issue we had with WCW for almost a year's Rory, with no undercard or a certainly undervalued undercard in lots of names in the main event? Uh, yeah. We might be in a very similar position in the next few months. I think Pete raises a brilliant point. Tag divisions, your, your bread and butter, your mid-card, when you can build it up. If you've got a hot feud, you can build it up to almost a main event level angle, or it can bubble underneath and lead up to your main event later on. We don't have a tag division. The women's divisions, the women's division, I don't think I can really say it any further than that without bothering on kind of derogatory comments. Not anything to do with the performers, but just with how they're viewed in this, this platform. Um, but I think the, the worrying thing is, again, we're going to have a very, very, <laughs> leading on from the women's division, a very top-heavy um, start. <laughs> When we've got the, the Throw his hands up in air, everybody. That's yeah. what I'm saying. The news we're potentially coming in, the names that we've already got established there. Um, one of the few kind of saving graces of the pay per view that we're going to be coming on to review is that main event situation for the last hour of the show, which mm-hmm. is already stacked. And what's happening underneath it, as Pete says, we've got, we've got Prince Albert, we've got Albert. We've got A-bomb, we've got hip-hop, hippo. There's only so many names you can give somebody like that before you realise, aye, it's nice to have them there, but come on. Um, and dare I say, if this is the kind of established tag teams that we're looking at, we've got Scott Taylor and Albert, and then we're talking about building more, 
what the hell are we going to get if that's the first draft pick? You know what I mean? Um, so, I, I mean, it's thinning the ground is a bit like mine and Peter's hairline. I think when we're looking at rosters, it's certainly nearer us than it is you and Bobby Bamba. Um, but, I mean, I think there's, <laughs> it's, there's certainly... There's certainly there, there, is, that. there is hope for optimism there because there is bodies there, but I think not to hark back on 2001 again when we're coming to the end of it, but it's almost as if we should have had a few months of bleeding the new guys in. Absolutely. We maybe shouldn't have had WCW for an hour and then just rush it under the carpet. It's almost as if we should have tried this and tested this and built it up so when we had long-term planning, we could be in a position where we've established people that are worthwhile and people that aren't, instead of just being where we are six months later and try to just whitewash the full full last half of this year. Working with people now who, by and large, have been completely discredited. (laughs) That was the... It was all very well Vince kicking them while they were down for four months, but you're going to be in business for the next 500 years, more than likely. So don't you want, when the invasion storyline is all said and done, to have some credibility to work with, especially if you're going to be splitting the rosters, where theoretically theoretically you're going to be seeing even more of these guys? You've made them look like total goobers, and now they're going to be carrying your TV, supposedly, and your already rather dodgy pay-per-view buy rights you know you think you're going to hit half a million again if you've made these people look like total tools not going to happen Vinny. and the outright sabotage conspiracy theory that gets put forward by a lot of people not least me on these shows i do think more and more that there's a lot of credence to it but uh with no competition does it really matter Trish, go take a seat over there by the announced position. 
You're not gonna kiss a rock's ass. You're not gonna kiss Jim Ross's ass. You're not gonna kiss Trisha's ass. There is one ass that The Rock has chosen especially for you. Let's see how the Vengeance pay-per-view went on, shall we? Well, there's still officially only one brand. I should tell you, everybody, that Delmuir all but demanded to run through the pay-per-view card for this one. He <laughs> said he hasn't made his mark on the show already. So, Delmuir, I shall run to I'm you. An ego. Some would say I'm an egomaniac. I'm not buying a bit yeah. But, um, yes, Rob, the last got? pay-per-view of the year, Vengeance all won from the San Diego Sports Arena. That match with Sunday Night Heat, and it was the APA. They beat Chuck Palumbo and Billy Gunn. On the show itself proper, we had the aforementioned Scott Taylor, Scotty Tuhotti and Albert. They beat Test and European champion Christian. The Intercontinental champion Edge retained against William Regal. Back with the Hardys with Jeff beating Matt. And in the Tag Team Championship match, the Dudley Boys with Stacey Keebler. They defeated Kane and the Big Show. The women's title was contested between Trish Stratus and Jacqueline. Trish retains, and on your triple main event, we have the WWF Championship. Steve Austin retained against Kurt Angle. The WCW Now World Championship, that was a new champion there. Chris Jericho beat The Rock. So it was Jericho and Austin going into the undisputed title match, and Chris Jericho won and is now your undisputed world champion. No, still not having it. Pete. Your opening thoughts on the Vengeance pay-per-view. I was going to do the results before Dell took over the show and kicked me off it because <laughs> so he's left out, the, he left out The Undertaker being Rob Van Damme. But I do want oh, to, I, but I've just brought it up anyway. But see, that's that's so <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I want your, your two opinions basically on, on the end and the way they did the, uh, the mini tournament show. At the end, have yep. to have these guys uh, wrestling their matches and then have the final straight after, basically, in a row. Whether that affected this or the crowd lost it towards the end was a bit of a... Whether they should have gone on first of it, middle, and then ended, I don't know. Just a bit of a thing for me. That's the only thing I would say about this show that really was a bit... Didn't quite seem right whether they did it for this particular reason or build up the fact that, you know... Austin was going to go long to get to the final and, and it didn't really seem to fit for me, but there we go. And apart from that, apart from probably The Undertaker, Rob Van Dam, which I thought was really good, the rest was just standard kind of fair for me tonight. Uh, that's where I am. Similar to Pete, Rory, I would agree with the, the layout. Um, although I really liked the last hour of this, 
this show because of that kind of triple main event feel. I thought it was pretty unique in that respect because the the two cards that I was thinking about when I when I realised that's what they were what they were doing with us was uh, WrestleMania 10 where there was three matches in effect mm-hmm. that had an impact on the world title situation where you the opener you then had midway through the card you had the first title match and then finale was the the main title match of the show and also Canadian Stampede where it was one show uh, one match that kind of dominated the show and some build up towards it. Um, I think one of the, the saving graces with WrestleMania 10 is because of that amazing opener, because of the, the ladder match in the middle and then the, the um, different title matches as well, it really broke up that card and that's a really favourably uh, remembered WrestleMania, I think because of the way that that was paced and the good opener, and then the main event, and the celebration and things, and then with Canadian Stampede, they had a really, 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 really hot crowd, which this didn't have either. Okay. So it kind of took the two best things about those shows and ignored them. But I think it did have its merits with that last hour, but as we mentioned before about thin rosters already, it really just impacts the first two hours. And I mean, you could easily have went out to the pub, come back in for the last hour, watch the main events, and you never really missed anything apart from that above par uh, hardcore title match, which the prick reading out these results totally forgot about. <laughs> I did give him that line, everybody. Well, I was in a bad mood when I started to watch the show anyway, because here in the UK it was being aired on Channel Frickling 4, which meant I had advert breaks and bits of matches cut out or what have you. Please to say that Channel 4's contract comes to an end after this pay-per-view in this country, so had a bloody year for that. But I have seen the full show as it was intended, and a really frustrating one. They had a lot of moving parts here, and they chose to keep on moving them, and that's the problem. I totally agree with you with the structure of the show. I was amazed they didn't open up with one of the title matches. That was crazy to me. Uh, WrestleMania 10, as Dallas rightly mentioned there, did it perfectly. And you had supporting features throughout the show that kept you interested. Here, you're having a California crowd who can be a bit iffy at the best of times, making them sit on their hands for the first two hours when they know that there are three title matches already booked. If you are causing just wait and the nonsense so much of this was just absolute filler and knew it on this show there's all but all, i'm all for racking up anticipation but it's not as if we didn't know this was coming and people wanted to see it you've got the three-hour pay-per-view there you've got the block opening match middle main event and it also gives a chance for a couple of people to have a proper rest which i think one really did need which we'll talk about a bit later and of course we didn't get the main event that they have been heavily teasing if not drought outright fucking showing they were going to give us for the last three weeks but we will get to that we really break down the last three matches but we've got another four or five to get through first so i better crack on with me notes so a film by freddie fellini uh, alliteration always works opens us up to the tune that everybody likes to call dance of the sugar plum fairy i don't think it's actually called that but that's what my mum says it's good enough for me it's shot in sepia and uses unintentional Unintentional, intentional stop motion, as I've called it here. So Vince McMahon has now reached 1918 in his own personal pop culture journey. Four superstars, three matches, two titles, one undisputed champion and some other stuff. Nice juxtaposition with the theme for this show as Drowning Pool are called upon again. Puss Sinner, good tune too. JR and Oh Yes The King are at ringside as Vince McMahon is here to start us off. Suitably humbled after having his head shoved up Rikishi's grub pipe last week. He tries to explain how that happened, 
you can have grub hype for free, ladies and gents. You could people got to hear a few minutes ago what happened as well. And the crowd follows every sentence with a what. Yeah, if we can stop that now, I'll tell you what, maybe just turn Austin heel again. That'll work. And no, I'm not letting that one go. Choice Vince line, you don't laugh at the misfortunes of billionaires. That one got a pop in this house, but then he also drops, he who laughs last, laughs loudest. Ric Flair now interrupts, clad in his bin bag. Why do I think most of his other clothes already ended up in one? And there we are. And now he says the show is about to start. Okay. And as the music that now plays has it, that's interesting. So we got an introduction to the show that had already started to tell us that the show was about to start. You know, I didn't think I'd be name dropping Schrodinger in the first 26 minutes of this broadcast, but here we are. And most importantly of all, it means I don't have to make too many notes on the opening match, which is Scott Too Hotty and the Hip Hop Hippo Albert versus Testin Christian. Don't worry, everybody. I'm not abdicating my responsibilities. I will do full play by play for every other match. But all I have for this one, JR on commentary. Pretty fly for a white guy. What does that mean? Lawler. JR, you are just not hip. <laughs> okay. Well, that reference is nearly three years old anyway, but let's just get to the end of the match, shall we? Fucking hell. Here, Albert pins Christian with the Baldo bomb after around eight minutes. Del. <laughs> You're absolute apathy towards this. It's absolutely <laughs> music to my ears. Um, I feel as if I should almost try and justify this match. I nom- can I just say, I nominated myself to present this show this month, and I just one fucking line on the first match. Why not, why not one of my favourite things about the pay-per-view model? Obviously, we don't get it recently with the, the delights of Channel 4's hazy format, and but in America, right, if you want to tune into a pay-per-view channel, you can tune into it for 15 minutes, right? You can get the preview, you can see what's going to happen, and it's basically a teaser to get you in, which is why, why this is... You get Hardys on there, you get Rockers on there, you get somebody that's going to perk up a crowd think, oh, this looks like quite a good show. I'm going to watch this. You hear Scott Taylor come in and say, oh, who's this wee fella? Oh, he does some work with the fire department. Oh, he must be a good guy. Then you see Albert coming out with his fucking... I know I can't comment, and I'm only here with Mr. Kimber, who also can't comment, but a fucking bowling ball head, right? He comes out. He's trying to hip-hop and beat-bop and rock till you drop it. Oh, man. And it's, come on, we, we want to start off the crowd. And I mean, he's in there with, with Christian, who's obviously his tag team exploits have been exemplary in the last couple of years. Test has been getting a, a bit of a shove in the right direction, apart from his kind of almost rapey vibes towards the end of the month. But at this point, he was still reasonably well pushed at this point. But I mean, for an opener, it's just, who cares, man? It's like Test could have some Christians just, God love him, I think he just did not roll a six to start on this. And, and Albert and Albert and Scott, I mean, I really don't want to turn this in. It may be an overly positive as usual. There is a backstory here. You TNA, you Test and Albert. There could, it's, it's hardly going to be the feud that reignites the boom in the last couple of years in wrestling. <laughs> but come on, at least there's some kind of story here that you could tell. It, it, is, it is just a, a lower mid-card, not even feud, but something that you can fill in between decent matches like a Rob Van Dam and a Jeff Hardy or something like that. Stick that in the middle and there's a bit of a story there. You can put a package on it. But no, it, it's almost as if when Vince came out at the start and filled for a couple of minutes, you get the flare pop when he comes out. It's almost as if they knew we are really flogging a dead horse here. But 
I don't think there's really much more you can say on this. Del, I would never have had you down as an expert in pay-per-view preview channels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, I always need the first 15 minutes to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Use your imagination when it hits scramble vision. Peter, quickly, pick up. I was just going to say <laughs> TNA explodes then, but that might be really, really poorly timed comment. <laughs> I think that might be one of them, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, obviously, I couldn't put it more better than Del there, really, but how long is the hip-hop hippo going to last in our lives will be the uh, well, yeah, 2002's biggest probably uh, acid test for everybody, I think. The big worry for me is that Tess has this immunity, doesn't need to anything, including potentially sexual assault as it goes along. Yes, and right. and Christian has a title, but they never looked like they were going to get a win here. And that, that means the big push or a push is going to Albert and Scotty Too Hotty. So I, if I was Tess and Christian, I'd be thinking, whoa, we're in a, a bit of bother here, early doors. So uh, let's hope that can turn around for particularly for Christian, because, you know, Edge is, is going great guns and, and he's looking like he's going to move up further into the you know, upper mid card maybe than he is now. But, yeah, just as you say, you want a, a, a match to, to get the crowd going. But this was way, way off the mark, way off the mark. Yeah, it's said that backstage Vince McMahon doesn't fancy Christian and you can take doesn't fancy Christian on many, many levels, believe me, if you hear what he says, he's out, calls him ugly on the tour bus and what have you, all of that. And him jobbing in six minutes to the big guy who didn't really work as a heel and has done the obvious comedy face turn that always happens in the WWF. That's Christian's level. He's the one taking the job here. Mm. I said last month he's steering dangerously close to becoming just the dreaded good hand. I think right now that's the best he could hope for. Yeah, apathy is right. Let's move on. I've made proper notes for every other match. <laughs> I'm honest, though. <laughs> Working myself hard even in December. Coach talks to Regal backstage. He questions that his methods are questionable. They are successful. Edge might be a superstar. Okay, now that is questionable. But Regal has been doing this since he was 15. He rightly calls Coachman a silly pillock as he walks off. Next up, Edge defends his IC title versus Blackpool's finest. And I love how Regal wipes his feet on the apron before he enters the ring. Tight lockup as JR calls Edge technically sound. That's questionable too. Nice missile dropkick there with William Bells quickly. He sends Edge to the ring post as a regal sucks chant goes up. No, no, no. He just kissed his ass. He didn't go that far. Back in with some gorgeous uppercuts, but Edge gets the first near fall attempt off a backdrop. Hard knees to the face. That'll do it. But Edge blocks a full Nelson. And then Regal does the same from a sunset flip with a grinding shot, sending the champ face first to the mat. Face first to the mat. Plenty of cutter attempts. Don't get any more than a two instead, but our boy just soaks in the boost for a bit. Great suplex also scores a near four. Edge counters with some rough kicks to the chest and then a swinging net breaker. That made very little sense. edge for two, a bit more like it. Then a okay Rana off the top for the same result. Edge just throws things out there and it's very, very noticeable. Much better Northern Light suplex and then in an inventive spot, Edge lifts Regal over the top rope from a sort of monkey flip position near the buckles. That was cool. He pays by eating the steps, though. Regal nabs his trusty brass knucks, strapped to another post, but for now opts for a butterfly bomb, smashing stuff, and another two. Edge with a sort of enziguri and a snap roll-up for one, and a backslide for the same results. A few kickouts of disrespect there. Regal with two more butterfly bombs, hmm, and another near four only. Now it's brass knucks time, except no it isn't, as Edge gets off the spear for the swift one, two, three. Pete, you just said that Edge is going great guns. Having seen his performance in that match, I think there might be the odd blank in there, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, maybe I, I 
was a bit too uh, eager with that comment earlier on. But uh, compared to Christian, that's what probably what I meant in that sense. Um, yeah, moving in the right direction compared moving, to Christian. Yeah, moving in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and he won for a start, so that's always a good start, isn't it? Um, it yeah, work. I think I think it's quite a simple and unbelievable story to the, to the match in terms of, you know, Regal's a, a no nonsense veteran. You know, he's he's that kind of guy, isn't he? He's just he's just going to hit quite hard and 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 dominate and look to really try and destroy his younger opponent. Edge is the the plucky kind of you know, youngster is going to stay in there and get the get the hope spot when he gets it, and then uh, get some offense in. But you know, Regal dominated. He's probably probably right, and I quite like the the way he went to go and get the the brass knucks because he was getting more and more pissed off that he couldn't get a finish, he couldn't get get the win, um, and then to actually lose it, you know, when he's about to use them was uh, was interesting. I think it was solid enough. Uh, I really like Regal. I think we would do because we're slightly biased to our our. Uh, well, I wouldn't say our hometown hero, but you know, across the pond anyway. He's a he's our man, isn't he? But uh, I like his matches. I think he plays a great character as well. Um, he's happy to do the job and, and elevate people. And this is not over, I believe as well. This is going this is going to move forward. Clearly, there's there's more to this going forward. Um, Edge, yeah, you're probably right. I think there is there's work there, but there's something there definitely, which is which is good for him going forward. But yeah, I think Regal will. Uh, have another shot at edge in the future, I think. And I mean, this, this is far from over, but compared to the opener, this was a, a decent match. Yeah. <laughs> compared to the opener, it doesn't count, but okay. <laughs> well, that's why I threw it in there, because you, you couldn't say no to that, really, could you? Indeed. Dell, your thoughts? Uh, three for three on the former Sexton Hardcastle. There's something there, I think we can all see that. We've seen that for, what, 98, I think you can remember the full thing with Sable and the, the vignettes and things. Um, it's kind of dismaying that this is one of the few certainly undercard matches where you genuinely like the two of them, where you can see potential in Edge. He's got a brilliant look. He's got certainly a lot of charisma there as well. They seem to be kind of getting behind him and getting him the title and things like that. Um, And there with Regal, who, again, three for three, we all love him. At this side, it doesn't matter kind of what uh, territory or this land you're from. I think we all respect Regal. We all like Regal. We all kind of see him on a card and think, oh, I'm going to get a good match here. For me, it was just too too heavy handed we we re, no heavy handed as in stiff or snuggering just there was too much offense I thought for Regal and that's when you try to build up edge I can understand obviously you try to put him under a bit of jeopardy but I think it was just far too much something I didn't think I would say far too much Regal in this match for me it's incredibly good um the story that that man can tell and that um we get the rematch, I believe it's tomorrow night, Rory, on Raw. Um, when we see that, yes. and I thought that was more favourably weighted towards mm-hmm. Edge, which I would have thought was ultimately the goal of this, is to make him look, oh, he's just a young guy, he's just a pretty boy, he's just a surfer-looking dude, he's got the blonde hair and the good looks. He can't compete with a hardened competitor from the snake pit. He can't win this. That's what should have happened, I think, on this show, where instead of the whatever it was, I think it got about eight, nine minutes instead of getting six or seven of Regal and then Edge wins it with the plucky underdog victory. I thought Edge should maybe have showed a wee bit more kind of razzmatazz for want of a better expression when we've seen that he can do that and that kind of clashy styles between the, the hardened streetwise veteran and the young up-and-coming high flyer. I thought it should maybe have been a wee bit more favourably weighted. But apart from that, it was okay 
but it's just a it's just a victim of the curse of the dreaded number two spot on the card. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I watched this pay-per-view with my wife. I'd call her a casual viewer. She joins the pay-per-views in for her sins. Although whenever Edge is on the screen, she is definitely a hardcore fan, if you know what I mean. So this criticism coming from her really means something. And I quoted this verbatim as we watched this pay-per-view a couple of weeks ago. She said, I'm sorry, he is on his back all the time, then just wins with one spear. And that is the, the finest critique I can come up with with the way that this match was structured. It really was dealt 80-20 regal, if not more of that. And as me and Peter Kimber can testify, there is worse positions to be than on your batting end than with a final flourish. <laughs> does, that, does that include 80 20 as well? <laughs> no further comment. Yeah. Or 20 80, perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, moving again, moving swiftly. We've got moving swiftly on today, aren't we? Uh, this was much exemplified the problems I have with Edge, and there's definitely something there. And he's a long term project, and I'm glad they have one. We accuse him of being very present-minded a lot in the WWF, and with good reason. Edge is somebody they're putting their stock into, and they're giving him the time and the space to make mistakes, which is good. I think in probably about 12, 18 months' time, we might be able to discuss him certainly knocking on the door of the main events. But they're playing the long game with him, and I appreciate that. And I think they're right to, because he isn't there yet. His match structure is all over the shop. Like I said there during the play-by-play, he just does things with no real rhyme or reason to them and I think when Regal was getting frustrated that probably did work in the context of the match as presented which is fine but might have been a little bit of our old friend legitimacy being dropped in there as well when Regal hit two butterfly bombs towards the end having already done one a minute or so earlier and that's not the sort of thing I would have him do so whether he was just trying to send a message or not I don't know I'm probably reading too much into that now I'm certainly not as opposed to Edge as some people in these podcast quarters are uh, if you listen to our No Mercy show a couple of months ago there's somebody on there who would be all over my comments here but give Edge the time he needs because he does really need it and more regal is always a treat I'm taking him as a hometown guy Blackpool's about 110 miles away from here as the crow flies that's good enough for me Angle barges into Flair's office, basically just to tell him he has never been a gold medalist or undisputed champion. Uh, Funny stuff here, as Angle seems to think he has to convince Flair that he will win tonight. Flair, though, annoys him by agreeing. Good stuff. After a great video package, we are now into Jeff versus Matt Hardy, with Lita as the guest referee. As appointed by Matt on Raw, because he can do that. Look, Matt, you're not in Omega now. JR nails one of the issues with this match by saying the fans don't really want to boo either guy. More on that in a second. Matt gets the better of the opening exchanges until Jeff gets off a nice arm drag and holds the armbar. Some decent further exchanges on the mat from both brothers until Matt hits a hard slam and an elbow. And a fair two count from Lita on that. Hard shots in the corner from Matt and given back with interest from Jeff. Or oh, he's been waiting for that from that one in the sand pit for many years. Sandbox, depending on where you're listening to this. But it's a pit. Now, how is it a box? Anyway. Matt with a sleeper and the crowd are indeed not into that one. Nice side suplex by Matt, but he misses the yodeling leg drop. Jeff with a boot, and he does connect with his, but Matt kicks out. Jeff slips on the top rope and gets caught in the old E-tree of woe. Lita, though, calls Matt off from putting the boots in. Quick roll-up for a near fall, and Matt is looking rather frustrated at all of this. There's that word again. He tries a sunset bomb down to the floor, but Jeff counters with a very nice Rana. Edge take notes. Jeff bolts back in, but lands heavily on his knee, and of course, Matt goes to town on it. It's always the knee when brothers feud, isn't it? 
Jeff can barely stand, but he can block a something into a side Russian leg sweep, then a great prawn hold into a cover. He's stepping up here, and no mistake. Matt, though, slaps on a half Austin crab. Jeffrey gets to the rope, but Matthew uses every second of the five count that Lisa administers. Swift leverage counter sends Matt outside, so Jeff then hobbles into a baseball slide, but he can't leap over the top rope. Ah, psychology. He rallies, though, with a mule kick, and now we just slug it out in the middle of the ring. Leg drop to the lower abdomen by Jeff, and now he goes up top, but doesn't get very far and receives the rocket launcher. Matt now perhaps sensing victory with a backslide for a long two. He then uses the ropes for a pinning predicament and Lita spots it. Jeff with a counter roll up also for two. Despite what the crowd will tell you, this is hotting up a bit. Jeff has another go, but again is caught early. He blocks a super twist of fate and there is the swanton and the cover for one, two and three. Matt did get his foot on the rope, but Jeff guided it off. Lita didn't see it. Uh, and indeed, oh. Del, very interested in your thoughts on this one. I've seen a lot of mixed reviews here, mainly from people who didn't want to see them fight in the first place. But I quite like the fact that they never really feuded going into this one. And I think that helped a bit. What do you reckon? It's one of the things where you can build a match on feuds or you can build a match on stories. And I think they actually did it quite well. There was much of the stuff particularly involving Lita. Again, I'm, I'm due to my allegiance with uh, certain other members of a perhaps extreme former version of this show, I will always be tarred with the brush of derogatory comments towards females. But um, Reputations are earned in this world, Mr Muir. Yes. Um, <laughs> I didn't like some of the stuff that involved Lita, mostly due to the male-female violence situation. I know it's only a shove. I know it's no, part of a story. It's part of a, a tool to tell a story at the camera. I didn't like it. Personally, I'm not a fan, in particular with the way that the month has went, almost exceeding itself every week with the male-female dialogue. Um, I didn't really like some of the stuff involving her when it got more physical. Um, even going back to, what are we, nine months removed from Mania, and there was some stuff in that match as well, again, involving Lita. But um, apart from that kind of small part of the story, I really thought they built it up well. And you're right to mention the, the pre-game um, video package. Really well done. They told the story. I think it was the longest undercard match of the night, apart from the three main events. And I thought they used the time really well. I really liked the two of them as performers. Um, similar to the, the way that the company apparently sees Edge and Christian, where Edge gets shoved and Christian gets put in the card. They clearly see more in Jeff than they do in Matt. I think rightfully so, because he's got maybe a commercial appeal. But um, Matt certainly does his, does his homework with like, the kind of the nuts and bolts of putting together a match, and then Jeff can do his, his kind of high-flying, lovely hair, cut T-shirt kind of spots. He's going to appeal to young guys. He's going to appeal to young girls. There's definitely something there, but I thought the story that he told in a wrestling match was really good. I liked Lita as the referee. Um, I thought it was a nice touch to a story. It's not every story that you can have that, that part of the dynamic in it. I'm going to take pelters for a couple of things that I'll say here, but the first one, Lita, I really liked as a referee because something that's annoyed me from, I would say, this really kicked in maybe about mid-94 when they really started doing fast counts. And one of the worst for it is Mike Kyoda, but it's rapid three counts. Lita was very rudimental, sounds like a, a kind of snipe at her. It's really no, it's... 
I'm a drummer, so being rudimentally sound and having a solid three count, I think, adds to a match. It gives you more chance to tell stories with kickouts the longer it goes into the two count. I like it, and it was good that she had that aspect there. The finish, I thought, was really good because it gives you an out to continue if you wish to. It gives you an out for the full Lita and Matt situation, and then Matt and Jeff on top of that, so I thought that was good. It's just a bit tricky when you've got two brothers, and we know how Vince feels about brothers never fighting with each other, apparently, Um, and the fight that Owen and Brett had. Again, going back to many attempt to get that match on, this is obviously never going to live up to that, but considering that's the main kind of criteria for comparison that you've got in this company, the other, you've got Rick and Scott Steiner, which it obviously surpassed in many levels. Um, but I thought it was really, really good. Um, the two of them, I think, are really good at what they do. Um, Matt's obviously a bit less charisma, Jeff, but more. Matt's got a bit more nous with kind of putting together matches and psychology and storytelling. Jeff is less. But I thought for the, the time that they were given, the story that they told, the added aspect to Lee been in there, I'm on the side that it was really good. I know it's kind of hit and miss with us one, Ross, but I really liked it. Pete, where are we going? Well, going back to the, the split, have we now got a bit of a superstar in the women's division? Because I think Lita's been a bit of a standout in this this scenario in terms yeah. of her, her performance for it throughout the month. So I agree. there's definitely something for her there going forward in the women's division. She's got uh, you know that quite flashy uh, moose set and the Hurricane Rana and there's something about her, so something there. And also, we've got Matt as a, you know, already there, kind of very lower mid-card kind of heel role, already there now. And Jeff is clearly the babyface high flyer again. So if they were to split and go their separate ways, at least you've got, you've got potentially two characters there that could do something going forward. So in amongst what's happened here, that could be the, the positive. I quite like the way the story developed in terms of, you know, Jeff trying to be the the flashy guy and do what he wanted to do to, to end the match and it all going horribly wrong and costing them the titles was, was quite a nice way to to get this split sort of going and I think it's played really well and I get why people didn't want to see him uh, wrestle because but in a way that we've watched these two have every kind of tag team match and style and whatever else for how long now so quite frankly to see something a little bit different i.e. them facing each other was a bit of a breath of fresh air I suppose for, for everybody sort of refreshed them a little bit um it's not probably over. I think Matt, obviously, another quick thing as well. Sorry, completely on, on my notes I wrote down. I thought the Jeff pulling the the leg off the rope was slightly a bit of a heelish move as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In effect, it yes. wasn't. It wasn't that that baby face. And Elite had missed it, but if she missed it, let him miss it. The fact that he flicked it off the rope and then pinned him to continue that last count was an interesting little touch. So it shows that Jeff, at the same time. He'll, he'll win at all costs and he wanted to win win this match and, and do it. So I quite like that as a little a little thing going forward. But yeah, I can see why people didn't want to 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 see these two go at it. But given what we saw, I think it was was, was a really good match. And looking forward to seeing how they how they move this this forward, what, what Lita's role in this is. Clearly there's been a bit of obviously her and Matt later on in the month. There's obviously a fallout happening here now because of what's gone on. But I think the future for all three of these people looks looks pretty rosy. I really liked this. It wasn't an especially great match, but it didn't have to be. The story held from first bell to the last. And 
I was concerned that they wouldn't be able to have that level of storytelling in them. But they got it. All three people involved in this played their roles to perfection. And as I said just now, they didn't go into it with just doing the cliched outright Hardy's breakup. I don't think you would have been able to sell that, to be honest. And I think the apathy, use that word again, that this match has received would have been even worse, if that makes any sense. If they had just outright split, Jeff goes off and as a baby face, Matt is the heel. I don't doubt that's where we're going. But the fact they've already got a match that they've now had, and that's there, which they can come back to as an additional resource if they wish. I think that's really strong. I think in-ring, Jeff, in particular, stepped up in this one. I think he probably had the most questions to answer from a wrestling standpoint. But I think he did really well. I thought his mat work, pun obviously intended at the start, perfectly acceptable. I think he broke out another couple of moves that we haven't seen from him before. His selling was on point. I love that he wasn't able to do the rope dive over the top. And his very swish manoeuvre of the leg during the pinfall was great as well. It showed he's got a little bit of an edge. Pun probably not intended on this occasion, but this was fine. It was the right length. It was the longest undercard match, as Dell says. I think if it had gone any longer, I think the story would have started to fall away. And much like with matches of this kind, they ended it just before we started to, you know, sweep the dust under the stone. No, there's a whole, not a whole lot there. So they've got this one in their locker now. They've had this match. They can come back to it if they want, if this becomes a full-fledged feud, which I'm sure will happen. But I think everybody involved can hold their heads up very high here. This could have gone wrong. It was a bit of a risk putting this match together. And perhaps if you listen to any other wrestling broadcasts or read any other periodicals, they might well come to a different conclusion than the three of us have. And I understand that. But I think this was a very, very strong start. They got the six that they went for on the first throw here. And of course, that doesn't happen often. Tag team titles on the line now. Oh, I, I need to mention our notes beforehand. Uh, Trish barges in on The Rock. She did that on Raw and it ended rather memorably. Well, maybe for one of them. And Trish gives him a good luck peck on the cheek today. Tonight, though, Rock is only concerned with walking out as undisputed champion. But later, though, there's plenty of time for her to smile what The Rock is cooking. Yes, I really wanted to get to this tag team title match, didn't I? The Dudley Boys defending versus Big Show and Kane. Oh, hold your horses. Kane and Devon start out, and then Bubba does for that matter. And the masked man makes light early work of them both. The crowd aren't back yet, by the way, I'm afraid. But Bubba and Devon do their best by the latter not wanting to tag in. They really do get this heel thing, don't they? Big Show then uses the Sapphire special on Devon, and Kane squashes him in the corner with some different coordinates. Bubba gets held over the top, then Kane clotheslines them down, sort of. They then decide on the very easy way to get the audience back on side, and Stacey Keebler. And Big Show definitely enjoyed prepping that particular rump steak. You know, who needs turkey every year anyway? Maybe that's next. Anyway, moving swiftly on. What's up by the champs gets them back on track and then a flapjack to the big red machine keeps them there. The 3D is teased, but Kane ain't having that tonight. Now the attendees start to rally him and we have a suspiciously early hot tag spot. As is the Bonzo Gonzo we then hit, which means Kane inadvertently hits his own partner with a clothesline. Show doesn't take too kindly to that. Oh God, he's going to turn again, isn't he? The Dudleys are as bored as that as I am, though, and they step in with some punches. But Show Ben knocks Kane off the apron. Bubba removes the pad, and then what JR seasonally calls a 3D, it was just about a flapjack if it was anything, to the unprotected Big Show is enough for the win. Ross quickly reaches for his supply of humbugs, though, when he calls this not a pretty match, Peter. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'll leave the Stacey bit for Dell to go into full detail. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to try and, and do that bit. So, Dell, that's all yours. Um, that was the moment of the match, though, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, yeah, I, I, I watched this, and, and please don't don't be critical, but I just thought of all the times I've heard about Andre, this is going to go a bit weird off, off kilter, but Andre the Giant, and, and the fact that now the big show's got that lovely sort of singlet that Andre used to wear. But, you know the big show can, can actually move and he can do some stuff in that ring. And when I watched Andre, when I was watching wrestling, the guy couldn't do anything but stand in a corner and put his bum on people and shout French at a lot of people. And that's all he used to do. But I know there was lots of times earlier on in his career, he did much better things, but I think the big, big show does get a bit of a hard time. And they, they, you know, they, they tried to do something here, but the big show and Kane should in effect destroy any tag team, shouldn't they? They're so big, so dominant, so powerful, they're huge. They should just, take them apart and I think the fact that the Dudley boys had to to cheat to win makes sense because you know people are going to have to against those two but then we're teasing another split and another change of character for the big show because Kane's character just remains pretty pretty standard so really looking forward to the big show's 451st change of character and is he a heel is he a face who knows this month um, <laughs> this month this is the tag team division and tag team champions this is what we were talking about at the start of the show this is this is, this is the worry isn't it that this is what we, we've got and this is what we're having to put up with the Dudley boys are much better than this in fact they've got Stacey in there with them they must be going back to their their ECW days and Dale going back to when obviously you guys covered ECW Wow, to have what happened in the middle of that match be the highlight is a bit of a, a low a low for them, I suppose. But I guess this is WWF in in 2001. This is where we are. So yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm I'm pleased they won the Dudley Boys because it makes you know sense after almost trying to split up the the Hardys in the in the last match uh, pay per view match. But yeah, uh, Big Show and Kane. I'm, obviously they'll be feuding. You'd imagine beginning of the year, February, March. So look out for that, everybody, on future episodes. Dale, over to you with uh, yeah. Stacey Keebler. That's a mouthwater, isn't it? Big Show and Kane. That's, that's mm. How do you follow X7, Big Show and Kane? Um, the Stacey Keebler thing I am going to mention, but I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into a, an unforeseeable face turn by Muir, but... Um, is Vince is Vince Russo been brought back on the fly? I mean, the stuff that Test's been doing, the stuff that I alluded to in the last match with Lita getting shoved in, yeah. and then you get Stacey Keebler coming in, showing a showing her cheeky side, and um, getting spanked in the middle of the ring. It's like I think Vince Russo's come back as some kind of undercover consultant for this company. But um, as much as there's as much as there's a bit of an issue with the apparent model side that the, the feminine kind of part of the, the roster's taken in the last couple of years because of the likes of Venom, um, Stacey Keebler is clearly there because she's got legs seemingly longer than Jerry Lawler's joke list. But um, she, she doesn't... That's not hard. Because that's about her ankles, I think. That's a, that's a good point, actually. Spike, please get longer legs than Jerry Lawler. <laughs> but, um, but no, she's clearly there. She clearly knows that position, but she does do it well. But the fact is, as Pete says, that that's a highlight of this match. just shows what Bubba and Bubba and Devo ends up against. Know what I mean? You could look into it, perhaps like McNamara, and just overly look into things and think, 
Well, they've obviously kept together and Edge and Christian have split and the Hardys have split. They clearly are together as a unit and are the most renowned tag team in this company, which clearly they are. But that's, again, maybe looking too far into it. But um, I must be honest, as much as I'm... Again, I'm going to take another pelt. I don't really like tag team wrestling. I'll be honest about that, and I've been honest about that in the past. I think it's very formulaic. But the Dudleys know how to do it. They know how to work as bad guys. They know how to draw anger for a crowd. They also know how to get a crowd going with the table situation and the whiz up and things like that. They, they know what they're doing. And the fact that they're getting lumped for us. I mean, what did Pete say at the start of this about the, the biggest red flag at the minute being the tag team division depth and how they just kind of almost just throw teams together when they've no good people that are doing it. And I'll stick them in a tag team. That'll get at least one star out there. Is this what the Dudleys are going to be set up for in the next year? Edge and Christian, good-looking guys. Both of them get a title. Matt and Jeff Hardy. Jeff's clearly a good-looking guy. They're going to push him. They've got the leader situation that makes them a bit different for Edge and Christian. The Dudleys, I can't exactly see. Even in A, B, C, D shows, nobody's going to want to see the two of them fight. They are clearly a unit. They are clearly going to be using the likes of Spike and now Stacey. They need kind of little differences just to make them kind of freshen them up a bit but um but Kane and Kane and the big show I feel really bad considering four years ago um almost to the month what a couple of months removed Kane was the biggest thing in wrestling because of the backstory that they gave him let's be honest what has he done since Mania 14 there's been very little with regards to the, the development of that character. He lost Bearer. He's lost Taker as a as a road wife. It's it's really worrying the, the fall that he's had. Also similar Paul White. What's, what's he done in the last couple of years? I mean, he was a champion within what, the first year, maybe 18 months that he was in the company. As Pete was saying, the, the easiest comparison to make with him is Andre. He's younger than Andre when he was at the, the height of his national TV fame. He's got a lot more charisma than Andre with him being a, 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 a American citizen and kind of having the language and having the charisma. And he's obviously worked with the likes of Nash and Hogan in the last couple of years. So he's, he's clearly been about the right people to have that level of charisma. But the two of them are just total cold water for me. As soon as they come out, it's like, oh, fuck. And the, the Lance Storm stuff that we see in TV through the month, the first couple of cards that he gets thrown is Big Show and Kane, which, again, when you're telling that kind of story, Lance Storm, not as big, not as kind of charismatic, things like that. You're going to put them against the kind of people, but they're just, they're really cold water for me. And for, for characters that are, but Kane's three, four-year-old in this kind of timeline of him being Kane, um, Big Show obviously came in what ninety nine, so a couple of year with him. The fact that they're floundering, it might just listen. This might just be my eyes. I'm Mister Positivity in this show, but these two just do nothing for me. The fact that they're at this point already, only a couple of years in, really worrying. Um, as I said, I mean, dare I say, even going back to Pete talking about tw- starting twenty two, we might be seeing the two kind of going against each other. Listen, can't it be any worse? than seeing them in this kind of situation. I mean, it's going to fill out some of these kind of B pay-per-views or kind of brand splits and things. It's going to be a big band match where you want to see two horses fight. But the more that I can see Bubba and Devo in an established tag team division, harken back to ECW when you've got them there with the public enemy or you've got them there with the, the, 
the Eliminators, things like that, even New Jack and Mustafa. Like when you've got kind of people that can bounce off of them, and ideally having the anti Dudley, where you've not an, not another anti Dudley, but you know what I mean. Um, having a having the, a the one life. idea they haven't come up with yet. Yeah, the, the feminine side of the Dudley family tree. Having the friends, <laughs> we we open that branch. But um, if we could have a an anti Dudley, should I say, having like kind of good young guys, a la the Hardys and Edging Christian, but not being the Hardys and Edging Christian, it would maybe give them a a fresh coat of paint, but otherwise I really worry for where they're where they're going. They're not going to be single stars. They need new tag teams. As I say, it's just it, for me it did nothing apart for the Stacey Keeper spot. And even that I couldn't enjoy because it was just really, is that what we're going to go with here? Lowest common denominator. It's a very nice looking common denominator to go with, but for a match and the fact that this got, I think it was about six, seven minutes, it was five, six minutes too long. If all denominators were that common, eh? Um, I'm going to take overly looking into things as a compliment, Del. Even if it wasn't intended as such, I'm still going to. So hard lines on that one. It's almost as if we're saying you overanalyze things. It's me being quite verbose. <laughs> Raising my eyebrow during this one. But... Yeah, the fact that those are the two things I've chosen to glob onto in discussing this match should tell you everything. I am very much a fan of this Dudley's heel run. I talk about that a lot on the end of year review show that you'll hear in a week or so's time. They really have got it. They dropped all the things that made people cheer them and people are on board with it now, which is excellent. Again, I'd have liked a bit more story than why are they still doing this after the alliance, but you know, <laughs> nobody else is asking that question, so why should I? As long as the Big Show and Kane are on the roster and they're not doing anything else, then putting him together as a tag team is, sadly, another lowest common denominator that doesn't quite have the legs of another one. So it's always a danger when the man in charge is the man in charge. Uh, they say that society is only ever three meals away from revolution. You know, we're only ever three three <laughs> less than three meals away from a Big Show title run. So I suppose dumping him in the tag team division is kind of the best we can hope for you know if you think i'm saying this now what if chris white was on this show i'm taking it quite mildly but i get what dale says about tag team wrestling especially in the wwf if the dudleys hadn't mixed things up the way they had and we hadn't had the phenomenal matches make no mistake we've got over the last two years which broke away from the norm then i really would struggle even more than i do getting through tag team matches but no more on this show uh, we've got a hardcore title match instead rvd versus undertaker oh that's uh, quite the lineup isn't it we get highlights of takers heel turning promo in oklahoma last month uh, which we have now learned was scripted by paul Heyman, as if all the references to kissing vince's ass didn't already tell us uh much like the first weeks of Austin, Taker hasn't really changed enough about his demeanour to sell the heel turn. He's still got the bike, he's still got rolling, still got the fist in the air. Okay, let's get to the match. RBD starts us off with a cannonball, that makes things up a bit, and something I appreciate. JR though wheels out educated feet for the zillion time, which I really don't. Boot to the face and we go outside. Big RVD chant as he hits a sidekick to the big filler, and then a clothesline sends the dead man into the crowd. He gets caught when trying a flying axe handle though. Undertaker then grabs a fan's Mexico flag. My God, he really doesn't make things easy for himself sometimes and chokes Van Damme with it. Rob is then sent legit headfirst into a guardrail as we see a fan has brought a crowd. So as we see a fan has brought a sign that reads good morning. Whatever happened to hello mum? 
Big chair shot, but RVD finds a fire extinguisher just on the off chance. He then climbs some steps and hits a crossbody all the way down. And he got that bang on, but only a two counter lass. They fight near the Titan Tron and a curtain plus its railings fall down. Not sure that was planned. Big headbutt by Taker, which rocks both men, but the lawn dart to the metal support structure will rock only one of them. Last ride is just about blocked and then RVD climbs onto the side of said structure. Very nicely done. Spinning heel kick to the solar plexus buys him a second or two, which he cashes back in with a rolling thunder. Chair-assisted drop kick, which isn't really a Van Dominator, but I'll let it go for a two. RBD tries the real deal, but Taker avoids it and Rob kicks the screen. He has another go near the ramp, but to no avail. Instead, he has chokeslammed through the handily placed tables down below. Sigh. And The Undertaker wins the hardcore title. And yes, I sighed when I first typed it to Dell. Um, I feel really bad about reading out the results because um, undercard matches, apart from the Hardys um, match, which I thought was really good, this was clearly the only decent undercard match of the full night. Um, as much as I'm not a fan of the the Taker situation at the minute, I don't know. I, I mean, I know I read some of your some of your newsletters, and it seems as if this is a Vince kind of steering direction for it he wanted to, to give the Undertaker a bit of an edge and kind of turn him a wee bit but with the year that we've had with Austin the the Triple H stuff when he left he was probably the biggest bad guy in the company and now he's seemingly coming back as the second coming of the Messiah um, it's been a weird year for just seemingly turning people for the sake of turning people and Taker feels like that but purely looking at this in a vacuum as a match, really good. Um, Taker, you, you almost see over the last kind of year or two of this badass stuff, as soon as he came back at that Armageddon, it was almost as if it was circa Steve Austin after the Owen Hart pile driver, where it's he had to change his style. Steve had to do that because of the neck situation. He just couldn't be stunning Steve Austin anymore, he couldn't be a ringmaster anymore he had to turn into a brawler Taker seems to have taken this to the end degree where every match seemingly goes outside the ring every match seems to take every shortcut available but having him in a hardcore situation is almost the perfect antidote to that where he has to do that to have these kind of matches and the perfect situation to balance that is sticking him with a Rob Van Dam who can do the higher flying stuff who can do the stuff to get the crowd going. If the crowd's going with Rob Van Dam, they're automatically going to be against The Undertaker in a, a, a degree with the type of match that he has. And then mixing that in with the character almost justifies the character that he's got these days. But the match I thought was really good. There was some unique situations in it. We see him take it up on the stage and the stuff that Van Dam was pulling out when he's no go a turnbuckle when he's no got ropes, when he's no got jumping off the ape, he was actually still able to innovate. Having for friend, we actually see Rob Van Dam as an innovator because he's been innovating for like five, six years. It's just now we're getting to see it on a bigger stage. But I thought as a match, it was really, really good. It's an interesting dynamic now to have Taker with that belt on him when you feel, obviously, the, the amount of title runs, as in world title runs that Taker's had, almost defies belief the amount of time that he's been with that company the work that he's put in when you heard the um the interview segment with vince and jim ross and talking about that decade of destruction and talking about the amount of times that he's kissed vince he's asked 
the, the work that he's put in when he's been through all the other people that's left and that he stayed, it shows how many title runs that he should have and doesn't because he's almost like the Jake Roberts level where he's above having a title. You don't need to put a belt on him. He's the undertaker regardless of what he's got around his waist. This almost seems like it's... It almost defies belief when you see him as a hardcore champion, when you've seen the type of alumni that that belt has in the last couple of years. But the Undertaker, seriously, he's bought a bit with that bit of tin on his, but it actually fits this character. When you see him on the bike with the belt around the neck, it's different. When you see him in these matches building up younger guys like Rob Van Dam, who, let's be honest, was in the end an absolute maul and kind of similar to, to Regal and Edge earlier on when you see him totally dominating, but it kind of works. We take it, it did almost add another aspect to that character when we've heard the the likes of Percy Pringle or Paul Bearer talking about Taker and the evolution that he's had to make to keep himself relevant. This is just another, another knot in the branch where it's actually kind of made a character that felt kind of similar to what I was talking about Kane and Big Show, when they're, they're almost expired goods. Taker's never had that, and this is like another notch in his belt to have that. And it's it's actually kind of good when when I'm kind of almost doubting the the fact that he's turned and the fact that he's now this character that's turned on everything that he's did before. If this is the kind of matches that we're getting, and we'll, we'll see obviously later in the month when you're going through the TVs, Ross, about the, the stuff with Spike Dudley, it's, it's different. And anything that's different, I think it's good. You're going to have some hits, you're going to have some misses, but as a match, I thought this was really, really good. And obviously, I'm used to working with Chris Lacey, so I mean, I don't really need to tell you about Rob Van Dam and his, his kind of likability factor and the fact that Lacey, I don't know if you know this, Rory, quite likes Rob Van Dam. Um, the fact that you're seeing him in these kind of matches when established main event, it obviously bumps him up. And it's the, almost the lost art of being able to lose a match and still came out of it better than you went into it because it establishes him as a performer and as a match, I just thought it was really, really good. And dare I say it probably overachieved on a card like this, on a show like this, it was one of the very few saving graces. You think Lacey would make that point more often, wouldn't you? You know. You would think he would kind of try and highlight. Well, he likes Arvid, just just, 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 just come out and say it. <laughs> just say it, mate. Just come out it. and say it. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Pete, what do we got for this match? I was a bit worried about this going in because I've just, you know, Taker and, you know, known to be a bit of a a locker room guy, isn't he? A bit of a, you know, and, and Rob Van Dam is is obviously escalating, isn't he? And I think he's very popular. You kind of felt, will he just completely enough to destroy him in about three or four minutes and it'd be game over and then just flush Van Dam back down to where he came from. But this went a good, what, 11 minutes, I think it was. So, uh, and I was also a bit worried when the fire extinguisher came out earlier. I thought, are we going to get a WCW hardcore match where there's all kinds of tin cans and really, really crap shortcuts? But this was really, really good. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think Dell's spot on with the taker and this slightly different side and different matches and, and things he's going to get involved in. But I think he did enough selling for RVD as well and made made him, I think he respected Rob Van Dam in this, in this role as well, enough that... It, it wasn't obviously even. There was obviously Taker dominated a lot of it, but he got enough offense in Rob Van Dam, and you, you thought at one point he might actually sneak the sneak the win. But I guess Taker's on this this turn and this 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 new character, and I think I quite liked it. I think it's quite refreshing for him a little bit. 
Uh, it didn't diminish Rob Van Dam, which I think was was the best take from this for me. Um, I don't think he'll remain now in this hardcore hardcore division. I think he'll move into probably, or he's above European, hopefully into like intercontinental division now maybe, and wouldn't mind seeing him up against Edge maybe moving forward. That kind of that kind of match or whatever happens. But yeah, I quite enjoyed it. One of the most probably the fun hardcore dare I say matches in WWF and probably WCW for many a year uh, and, and I was quite surprised to hear it was like The Undertaker was involved in it so for me yeah really really refreshing and I'd say outside of the technical the last three main events this was the match of the night for me and yeah, sorry, I, to peg, sorry to piggyback Rory but just jump on what Pete says there it's almost been a lost art in the last couple of years when you can see somebody with a belt losing the belt and gaining something from the loss and moving up a level what did we see with Bret Hart in 92 with Davy? He lost the Intercontinental, he put Davy over, and he built himself up. That's almost where we see Rob Van Dam, where he's now moved from a hardcore title situation, which he's really good at with the style that he's got, but actually been able to move up a level, as Pete says, above a European into an Intercontinental. But then Edge would need to lose the Intercontinental. He could then get bumped up. It's almost as if they've actually achieved something on this pay-per-view. So between me and Kimber, Rory, we will make you see the fucking positives of this show. And that is one of them. Rob Van Dam <laughs> has just bumped himself up a step. And, and, and The Undertaker has No, no, that's not, no, 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 no let's, let's, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, please. Okay? <laughs> one at a time. I'll I was already going to say... <laughs> you can try what you like. I'm already going to say, I'm going to give you this one, okay? I like this match a lot more than I wanted to okay i'm sure you won't be surprised to hear i this will shock nobody listening either i went into this one with preconceptions okay uh, certain six foot ten 328 pound preconception but i think they did a fucking great job in this match i really do we have been burnt with the hardcore style of the last two years because it's been done by everybody uh, no real connection doesn't matter who you are if you're in a hardcore match you do the same old stuff and they didn't really until the last couple of minutes veer away from that but here with the personnel involved even the fact that rvd has been hardcore champion for the last four months it felt extremely fresh and i felt undertaker actually fucking had to do something in this match for a change right and he embraced maybe for one night only the stipulation and he worked around it and it was one of the better undertaker matches for quite a while because on a very prosaic level he actually did stuff and i didn't love that undertaker came out victorious here because i never will be as long as he does but there was enough here in this match and rvd pushed him all the way in kayfabe terms he came within a raise's edge (laughs) not intentionally imagine that of winning this match it was so so close they really teased it there up on the ramp in the last couple of minutes. And I thought that was great. And there was a situation earlier in the year at No Mercy when Rob Van Dam took a loss and I was really, really concerned for him. I'm still not convinced how good the graces are he is in with a lot of people in the company, but he could be a lot, lot worse off than he is. And I'm sure they will say that just being in the ring and outside of the ring with Undertaker is enough. And I've probably grudgingly got to admit they might be right. <laughs> it's definitely a case of who you know in the WWF and having been in there with The Undertaker and giving him a hell of a match is probably going to stand him in good stead. I don't want to see 
too much of this from anybody hardcore or not but if it's going to be something at least laudable from the undertaker then let's just keep going those very very small baby steps but don't push me too hard on this one guys okay <laughs> i've already given you more than enough on this all right join I'll us take... next month after yeah. the i can run. i can play in my fully loaded I'm... 2000 run whenever i want i'm okay? taking that as a win down taking that as a win <laughs> that's a win but just wait to royal rumble next month when takers get sarah back and rob van damme's team and we are but <laughs> Yeah, oh, dear. Dear. <laughs> oh dear! Oh, uh, Lacey's on the Royal Rumble show. Just thought I'd mention that at this point. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. Let's get on. Jericho tells Flair that nobody thinks he can win the title tonight. I don't think they should be drawing attention to that. Once again, though, Rick meets it with equanimity. Indeed, if Y2J does win it tonight, he wants the Nature Boy to present him with the undisputed title on Raw the next night. Right, women's title. Trish Stratus defending against Jacqueline. Not much to say here, I'm afraid. I wish there was. Jackie with a swift roll-up for two, and at least they got in one piece of offence before the We Want Puppies chant, which JR then acknowledges. You know, I think it is possible to fight off Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, Jackie with a slam or two, and then a clothesline by Trish. They seem to mess up a counter where Jacqueline goes for a sidekick, and Trish landed on her side and her opponent. That could have been nasty. Uh, some straight from the gym, Matt's Matt cradles by Trish, and she got them right on the money, which I didn't, trying to say them. Then a drop kick to the back of the head. King keeps going on about a black bra for some reason. I didn't pay any attention. I'll let Del fill me in on that. Uh, Trish with a backslide, again with no air showing to retain the title, and the babyface handshake sees us out. Peter, there's very little to discuss here, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm patronising Trish when I say, oh, she did a backslide well or anything like that, but the women are giving so, so little to actually go on and praise for that even minor things like that I feel we need to draw attention to. I think going back to the comments that we've had this month around the way women are being treated off camera, on camera, in the ring. I mean, this match was basically from a, from JR and, and the King was was puppies, breasts, bras. There wasn't this wasn't a match that they were interested in. All that Jay Lawler was there for was to talk about that and discuss a black bra. And there was just it's really a bit a bit tragic, really, in that sense that. You know, Trish is clearly being aligned with The Rock, you know, one of your biggest stars in the company. OK, take that for what it is. But she is. But she was treated here with a really, I think both of them, to be fair, a real lack of, if they'd heard the commentary maybe in the arena, they'd have been like, excuse me, what, what, what? <laughs> really? You know, we're having a match out here trying to do do our best. And they got totally disrespected. And that's why they only got three minutes, because I don't think they get the respect that they deserve. Maybe because they're not there yet. Fair enough. I get that. Trish is clearly a, a work in progress. Jacqueline's was the veteran word was using. It wasn't it for, for Jacqueline. She's been around a few years now. But yeah, just a bit a bit sad. This was just a bit of filler. But then Trish later on in the month tags with The Rock and is in in, in, a, in, in matches with him. So it, it felt weird that they'd really sort of devalue her in that way when she was linked to The Rock so much this month. So yeah, strange one, but a nothing match. Uh, Trish had to retain. Nothing more to say, really. And again, naughty, naughty overly like Yully just abandon all knowledge of knowing me. But again, I need to comment on this. We want puppies chant. I mean, what's the diff- I know we are ball deep at the minute in Generation X. I know, obviously, the last kind of few years of the company and dare I say we might be going back if the newsletters are to be believed about getting a an edge back and this is going to be the direction that they go in with some of the stuff. But, I mean, Rory, you're a music man, I'm a music man. How many times do you hear stories about 
flipping names out of there. Courtney Love at a whole concert, Shirley Manson at a garbage concert, and all they get met with in some some areas, even over here. I'm not going to say this is an American thing. This is a society thing as a whole. Um, how many times do they get met with show your tips at a concert? And I mean, Trish Stratus, again, in the, the kind of Tory Wilson, Stacey Keebler situation, I know obviously she's got the fitness background and the Canadian background, and she's kind of getting above that now. She's hosted TV shows. Obviously, she's had to get that up with the amount of time that she's putting in with the company at the minute. But she's better than that, and she has improving in ring. I mean, look back to Trish Stratus a year or two ago and where she is now and where she was then. Is she perfect? No. Is she going to be... And I, I know we've had the, the new Blackjacks and we've had the new Midnight Express and the new Rockers. She's not exactly going to be called up for the new Jumping Bomb Angels anytime soon. But she's making leaps and bounds in where she was originally. And she still gets hot with a show your puppies chant. You know what I mean? And obviously Jackie's maybe no help that. I know she's got the, the heritage and the pedigree working with like Sully and things like that. But looking back to where she was... I think actually over here was it no a UK pay per view where she comes up with no brow and then the t shirt gets ripped off and she's maybe no helped herself, you know, in the middle of the the so called attitude era that we've been in for a couple of years now. But um for lassies to come out and let's be honest, slug their fucking guts out when Stacey and Tory are seemingly having uh brand panty matches Later on in the month, we've got the, what was it, an eggnog match. And no, I mean, when these things are going on and these lassies are coming out, we're an honest-to-God match. They're putting it together well. They get fucking three minutes and the crowd's chanting that at them. Is this a case of the dog wagging the tail or the tail wagging the dog? Is it because they're going to only get out with two, three minutes booking time? Is it because the crowds are reacting like that that they're only getting the two, three-minute time? I don't know what one it is that's in command, but... I know we're, we're going to be a long way, I think, they might, the way that things are going at the minute before the women are treated with a bit of respect. But, um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's really sickening to hear these these kind of things. And I know there's maybe some people out there listening saying, why is fucking yours taking this stand and why is he dying on this mountain? But I think it tells people when it's the likes of me and Yoli that have been on Extreme Championship Wrestling and talking about these things with, with Franny and Beulah and things like that, that even I'm taking a stand and saying, listen, this isn't the Vince Russo era. This isn't the Jerry Springer era. Jerry Springer's still on the telly, but it's not on at fucking prime time anymore. It's on at two in the morning, and it's on at two in the afternoon for the jobless society. This company needs to move with the times, as it has been doing pretty well in the last couple of years, which is why it's boomed. And the, the fact that the lassies are still getting met with us in a death spot before a triple main event, getting three minutes, getting show your tits. And then even the... the the small crummy comfort and the, the audible of the crowd being able to be drowned out with the television audience getting drowned out with commentary when you've got Jim Ross, probably the greatest ever, in my opinion, with what he's done in the last kind of 10 years that he's been, well, six, seven years that he's been with the company and what he's done before that. But you've got Jerry Lawler coming back. Dare I say, he's only going to get worse because he's just been divorced. He's on the prowl. Hopefully, Trish and yeah, Jackie are probably a bit old for him, so that's one thing you would think he'd maybe be a bit better than. But it's it's just not going to help when we're getting puppies chants and eggnog matches, and it's just, you really feel for them. Um, and I mean, Trish and especially Jackie, as I say, with the pedigree and the experience and the amount of people that she's worked with, they should be getting better. But as long as they're only getting two three minutes on a on a pay per view. 
it's almost as if we're back to 95, Circa Alindra plays Medusa, where it's just like, let's just get a girl on the card so the so the FCC kind of come after us. <laughs> I just feel bad for them. That, I mean, they're trying their best. They are. The, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what it is. And this is the bed that they've been made to lie in. And I choose those words very advisedly indeed. And this is the way it's going to be until a major rethink happens. And that's not on the horizon anytime soon. Now, I do think that this programme and maybe this programme alone, give or take the odd newsletter here and there, are the only people who are sort of flying the flag for the in-ring attempts that are being made here. And it is to Trish's credit that with all the stuff she's given, and I do mean all the stuff she's given, that when she's called upon to do stuff in the ring, now the effort, I've been saying this for a year, and I'm like, no apologies for repeating myself. The effort she has been putting in, absolutely exemplary. Is she there yet in the ring? No, not by a long shot, but she clearly wants to be. Putting in the effort, every Raw, every SmackDown, every two minutes on pay-per-view when she's called on. But no, she wants to make more of this, but because she's just such a great, such a great sport and boy has that cost her a lot during the course of this year you know she'll get involved in the insert fluid here matches or whatever you know just because the guys who are watching don't get a chance to insert fluid anywhere and yes some thought about that one on the fly and there we go but it's really really depressing but it's gonna be the case for as long as the people are in charge other people are in charge and i don't see a situation where anybody like trish or jacqueline or Molly or Lito ever, they'll be able to come forward and say something about this. Just to ask you, Rory, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because I know it's only a three minute match, shortest match in the card. I'm going to give this the the credit that it deserves. I'm going to talk about the women a wee bit more and I just want to ask your personal opinion, Rory, and also Pete, if you want to jump in. Do you see it changing anytime soon when you've got tough enough that's aired, you've got a male winner and you've got a female winner, you've got Nidia, You've got the likes of Jazz coming in. You've still got the old hands of Jack on former Miss Texas. You've got Ivory. I'm not a fan of Lisa Moretti by any means, but she's been there with the likes of Glow and things, and she's got that heritage there. But at the same time as you've got these people in Lita, well, obviously her moveset, as Pete was saying, everyone kind of been flashy and things like that. The stuff that she was doing with S.E. Rios, and she's got the history of going to South America, stuff like that. But you've also got to counterbalance that with how China has been treated in the last kind of six months or so, and the, the likes of Sable and Terry and these kind of people. Do you see it changing anytime soon? With, with the, the one that I feel for particularly is Nora with Molly Holly, and she's kind of the almost the, the definition of a go getter and somebody that's willing to put in the work, but then she gets sidelined with the stuff with Gregory Helms and. Kind of that kind of do you see this changing anytime soon, or is this just kind of what we're now stuck with? I, I, I hope so. And just as you say, tough enough is a possible glimmer in the distance on this one. But I think you know, we all know where the proof of the pudding is, you know, this time of the year or any other. It depends what they have when, or if I should even say, Nidia actually gets called up and what they have her doing. And until I see what that is, I can't really pass judgment. Uh, we can only go on the evidence that they choose to present to us every week. And based on that alone, it's a bit of an open and shut case. Pete, just quickly, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it's, will it change? I don't know. It, it's a, 
it has to be given time. Maybe again, we spoke about this this split. Will they be given a bit more time, a bit more credit, a bit more profile? I don't know. It's I don't think so. The way that you talk about the edge, the stuff you read in the the sheets this month, that they're going down this road, aren't they? I think that's what they want. So can't see it. I'll just curtail this before I become any more of a baby face. Last word on, <laughs> just last just word on this subject. Let's just give the divas a chance. <laughs> All he is saying. So we go to WWF New York, and that'll be Vladimir and Lenny in the front row. And what do they get for their loyalty to the company? Having to look at Rikishi's ample mud flaps. And in the most obvious sentence I've typed all year, he says nothing of note. Right, let's get the serious stuff going. First title match of three, and it is for the WWF title. Steve Austin defending Kurt Angle. Not, oh, this again, but oh, this again. I hope so anyway. Jim Ross name drops Gotch and Hackenschmidt, so you know Eric Landstrom's going to be pleased. And away we go. Overhand knuckle lock into a collar and elbow, and we break in the ropes. Uh, Angle won't let go of the grip to such an extent they end up in the opposite turnbuckle and we get an uneasy break. Lovely. We get the same on the other side of the ring and Austin meets that with a toothy grin. Hard stomps and chops by Stone Cold but Angle puts on the brakes off an Irish whip. See, it can be done. Great waist lock, takedown by Kurt but then the champion goes out to regroup as well and there's the double bird. Great wrist lock exchange but Austin just settles for a good old elbow led knockdown. Then an excellent double counter as Kurt catches the foot and goes for the ankle lock, but Austin rolls over it to take the Olympic hero to the mat. But yeah, he's just a brawler, right? Back to an arm ringer now, and Austin really fires into it. Kurt gets sent all the way over the top rope, and then Steve works on the left shoulder. JR really gets over the reasoning, but behind that too. Almost enough for me to forgive the We Want Puppies reference. A Watts chant goes up. Oh, what have you done? As Angle eats the buckle. Suplex is rolled through, but the ankle lock is on, dead centre. Austin scraps his way to the rope, but the challenger grabs him back. Second time of asking, though, the rattlesnake makes it. Austin with a desperation backdrop to give himself some breathing time, but Kurt hauls him down and attacks his knee with the help of the ring post. And bloody Nora, those chops. And now the in-ring, now the ring post, figure of four. Ah, that takes me back. And while I'm here, that's a dream match, if ever there was one. Angle can't quite get the lock back on as Austin kicks frantically at him. Kurt gets off a belly-to-belly, though. And then those German suplexes. Best in the business. Close two counts off those. I think it's Mr. the moonsault time, because it's always Mr. the moonsault time. He needs to be allowed to hit that once or twice. Fez press, appropriately enough today, and a spine buster for a close two. And now Austin with his own German suplexes, and they score very highly in many disciplines also. But remember, just the brawler. Very, very near fall off the fifth of those suplexes. Angle slam to counter, but Austin is just out. Angle thinks the time is about to come, and he wills Austin up, and he wants to finish him with a stunner. Austin battles out of it, though, and hits his own. But that's okay. Angle always kicks out of that. Oh, Austin won. That's telling. One stunner. Very telling. JR once again drops that we could be finishing up with Austin Rock, and in fact, he does it twice. So it is definitely happening, you hear? Del, we'll talk about all the booking and the champions and the non-champions and the whys and the wherefores and the do you mind if I don't's when we get to the end of the pay-per-view. So now, if you just keep this one Meltzerish and talk about the match, if you would, for a few minutes, and we'll do the rest in a bit. Mind that time at the start of the show when you were talking about somebody should maybe have started the pay-per-view and had a wee bit of time to rest. Don't know who you were talking <laughs> about there. But um, as a match, I thought it was really good. I know I made the big issue at the start about building it into like a Mania 10 situation. We're having an opener, having a middle and having an end. Um, almost as if the three-act structure works in wrestling. 
But I really like this, the way that it was built up at the start. You've got Finkel out there announcing the main event. You've then got the big pyro um, setting off for the start of this kind of triple match situation. This this pay-per-view really kicked off for me at this point, which isn't saying much considering some of the shit that we've sat through. But the match I thought was pretty solid. You've got Kurt Angle in there who, similar to what I was talking about, the big show, it's really a similar timeline that they two have been on. When Angle came in, uh, was it MD99? Show was maybe a couple of months in front of him. But the cuts just went on and on and on. And I know, obviously, I had my rant the last time that I was on this show about um, just been after the, the horrible situation in September and then turning, turning Angle. Similar to what I was talking about with Taker, but it feels as if they turned them for the sake of turning them cuts in a very similar situation and probably the number one example you would give of that. But as a match, I thought it was really good. Um, if anything, it was a bit similar to the the Hunter-Austin um, situation going back to the start of the year, where it was the the two out of three falls, the three, three stages of hell, where it's like, oh, this is a brawl. Steve Austin's going to win it. Oh, oh no, he didn't. Oh, this is a wrestling match. Hunter's going to win this. He's the t- boy, didn't he? And it was a similar kind of story that they were telling getting into this when obviously Austin wins and um, Kurt gets defeated. But the fact that they actually kept it as a one-on-one, the fact that they made Steve go over, obviously there's the subtle kind of changes of the, the music coming back when it's now the traditional glass break. It's the traditional Stone Cold music. You know who's the white hat, who's the black hat again. But as a match, I thought it was really good. The way that Steve was pulling out some of the moves that he hadn't done in a couple of years, I thought was a nice touch to it. He matched Kurt and then this, the, the suplex situation, I thought was done really well. As a match, I thought it was as good as you were going to get. And it's very rare that you see these situations, especially when they're one after the other after the other, where you can have what we were talking about at the start with A shows and B shows with this new roster plan that they've got with the split rosters coming up. Actually being able to have a match when you know one of them is going to be competing again in, what, 10, 15, 20 minutes, to feel almost as if it was an A match and you know there's still something to get left in the tank was quite good. How many King of the Ring pay-per-views have we seen when the first match has been shit because you know that they're keeping something in the tank for competing again in half an hour's time? This didn't feel like that. This felt as if, oh, I actually don't know who's going to win this. As much as they were ramming Austin Rock down your throat, it felt as if we kind of thought, this is a good match. It, it, I don't. Both of these could conceivably have another, even though Steve was obviously kind of struggling a wee bit more than Kurt, because Kurt's just a cardio machine, a lot like me and Peter. But um, I thought it was really good. And um, the fact that it was one off three, and it felt as if it was still a good match, speaks volumes for the two performers for me. Peter, from a pure star rating and technical perspective, what did you make of this one? I quite like the fact that it was a role reversal, was it, from their SummerSlam, where Austin was the um, the heel and Angle was obviously the, the, the baby face. It was a complete flip around, which is quite a nice touch, I think, because that makes the match different to begin with. And um, quite telling that Austin did a lot here, and that's probably where the issue is towards the end, that... I think the, the the Germans that he did were, were great and a nice a nice throwback to to Angle's work. But I think these two could could have a match together probably every night, you know, and it would be very good. I'm not going to do 
a Meltzer impression, but you know, three, four. You've done it on a previous one of our shows I, anyway, I, I, Pete. I so it's there, it's there for all to hear. I have done March '99, I think. WCW. I think it was, yeah, you, you've heard it before. <laughs> I'll do it again, but you're probably talking four star. You know, without these two even trying, the chemistry they have together, the way they work together, it doesn't matter what role they're playing in each other. Um, bit, bit of a shame for Kurt, I think, as well. Potentially, I know that obviously Austin. You always felt he was going to be in the the final. Um, obviously, not against who many thought that was going to be going to happen there, but. Interesting to see what what lies ahead for uh, for Kurt because you know the guy the guy the, the journey he's been on since he's joined they have been incredible and the fact that he can do what he does after so little time in that ring and coming from where he's come from is is incredible but no I thought the match was was really good 15 minutes exactly what it should have been I just wish it had been the opening match then it might have got 20 yeah. and would have been probably even better for me that's my only criticism of this match would have been it should have been a twenty-minute absolute stormer that gives Steve an hour, two hours to you know have a shower and sort himself out and be refreshed and come out and go again and give us another fifteen-minute stormer, which doesn't happen at the end. So that's my only criticism. But yeah, these two are, are, are just great together in the ring. And I did like your reference with uh, was that was that a Bret Hart Kurt Angle reference, Rory? Oh yes, I think that was a yeah, that would be an awesome watch, wouldn't it? But yeah. We never get to see it, sadly. But yeah, no, these two brilliant uh, and very, very good. And Austin, a bit of a throwback to, I guess, stunning Steve, and he can do that match. He hasn't got to brawl and stomp and you know do the things that he does. He can also wrestle and you know go toe to toe with Kurt Angle. You know, so you know, really good. There's a very nice discussion. Well, depending on what side of the fence you want to call it, nice. Lacey probably didn't think it was nice when he ventured just to give you a bit of a, t- a taster for the end of year rewards review show when that drops in a week's time. He said that Austin was just a brawler where you all piled on him with their own kicks. And a mud hole was very much walked dry after that one, I assure you. But do listen out for that when it drops in a week. This was fantastic. It was probably the second best match they've had this year, to be honest. I think it was probably slightly better than the Unforgiven one, although I really like that too, if you remember me on that show. The SummerSlam one will always stand on its own as one of the best matches of this or any other year. But again, though, listen out to the end of year reward show. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Got to get on there now while I can. But this was the, the chemistry these two have between each other. Now, when you have a great wrestler and a great wrestler, you kind of expect chemistry, but it doesn't always happen like that, and not in the WWF. But these two are clearly just so comfortable working against each other, and the stuff they pulled out, Austin especially, that we haven't seen from him. We, no, we didn't see the 1994 Steve Austin do that, let alone the 1998 one. And he's doing reversals and the holes that he's doing in this match because he feels so comfortable doing it in there with a, a pure wrestling ultra machine that Kurt Angle is and it's one of those where on a program like this it doesn't really serve very well to try to describe the match and break it down move by move you know just watch it and hopefully agree with us but I did have to put it there in my notes that Angle only losing after one stunner this time after withstanding three in August and at least two I think it was three again in September should tell you uh, how far away the mood music is these days you know it's it's getting a bit further away and that sounds and more like a vulture. That the angle sounds in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, abs- yeah, indeed. Yeah. That's it. There you go. No, the vultures are definitely circling here, and that's the song they're singing. But match of the nights. I'm going to jump ahead and say that right now. Pretty obviously so, but obvious things are obvious for a reason. Right, going to get to our penultimate match now. We will talk about the booking later, I promise. But this is our world title match, and I'm still not 
I'm very glad I don't have to say world title match after today because I couldn't say it during our preview show last month when we talk about this uh, for the Raw after Survivor Series world title. I can't say it now. But it's The Rock defending against Y2J. A very buffed up Y2J, no less. And I'm sure that's coincidental. Rock clamps on a side headlock from the bell and his arm drag takedowns are really rather good, aren't they? So the point where my voice go up five octaves. Uh, is that a small Rocky Sucks chant I can hear? Because that's definitely a Y2J one. But hey, San Diego must be bizarro world, right? Jericho tries to escape, but gets wiped out with a clothesline. And there is a cool spinning heel kick by the challenger. Turnbuckle drop kick thing sends Rocky down to the floor, but that just means more shots to the table and steps. A lot of that today. Uh, back in, but Lionheart with a reverse elbow off the top for our first pinfall attempt and a nice suplex too. We are then treated to the long-awaited return of the come on baby pin. And that's the first time he's done it in the Fed, I believe. Hopefully we'll get to see a lot more of that. Side suplex by Jericho, and now the crowd chant for Rocky, and Lawler is sure to mention that. The Brahma ball with a great belly-to-belly and a Samoan drop for a two, and now Chris J clamps on a sleeper. No need for me to type for a couple of minutes until Rock hits those slappy punches but gets taken down with the bulldog. Lion salt to the legs, but too early to get it done, although the crowd were into the kickout. Uh, more hard chops, and yet more. Uh, on the top, the champion gets shoved down, and Jericho with a crossbody, but a roll-through gets two. Rock with a sidestep as Jericho tries to charge and the challenger hits the ring post head first. Another fast recovery, though, as catapults my veer back into the ring post. In theory, he missed by quite a way. A groggy champion is then placed on the announce table, but he can block a rock bottom attempt into a DDT. I feel like we should see that sort of counter more often as well. The table falls rather than breaks and Jericho is halfway buried under it. After a while, we go back in and the rock is ready, but his rock bottom attempt is blocked and Jericho gets off the breakdown. He sees the champ laying flat on the ground, so it can only be time for the people's elbow. He even takes off the buckle. His arm pad, I should say. Why would you take off the buckle pad? But the rock is up. Uh, there's the sharpshooter, but Jericho counters into his own. Rock gives it the open mouth cell when it's close to passing out. He has one last try, though, and makes it to the ropes. Bit too similar to the previous match there, I think. Quick inside cradle by Rock gets two, and now the rock bottom. But he is down two. And here comes Vinny, and he happens to distract the ref. The champ knocks the owner off the apron, and now it's time for the people's elbow. Except no, it's not, because Vince is back up. Rock brims, brings him in the ring, then gets the elbow, then lays the smack down on McMahon. This, though, allows Jericho to hit a low blow and his version of the rock bottom. And they did it by not doing it and by giving us the final of Austin and Jericho. Again, we'll talk about that more, Peter, don't worry. But the 20 minutes of action that took us there first off, if you would. Obviously, very creative finish to get us to the, the final, obviously. Um, yeah, I think the fact that the rock bottom seems to be the move that this match was all based around was quite interesting. Um, and the sharpshooter, where I thought the, the rock was actually going to pass, that was going to be the finish, was but it was also the lamest looking sharpshooter I've ever seen in my life. The way he cinched that in, it was like rock was lying on the mat and he just had his legs crossed. I was like, well, how was the rock passing out to that particular hole was an interesting uh, camera shot. But anyway, um, I think it was good to see um, Jericho. Obviously, we've read a little bit in the um, in, in the newsletters this month that they're looking at Jericho as being somebody who who they can get behind and, and this almost breaking into the uh, into the main event scene. You can see why, um, you know, he's got got enough about him. I think he's got an opportunity to really make a name for himself. Um, he works really well with the rock, but I think the rock can probably have a good match with a lot of people out there. Um, probably not as technical as the last match. It surprisingly went a bit longer than that. I thought they might have a similar sort of time span, bearing in mind the last one was 15 minutes. But 
Um, quite refreshing to see Jericho get to the final. I mean, whether that's the right thing to say or not, having all the, the previous, it's going to be Rock Austin, it's going to be Rock Austin. To see then Jericho get that, that win was an interesting uh, what's going to happen next, which made the pay-per-view. You want to watch that final now and not be quite so, oh, here we go, Rock Austin again, which was, still would have been a great match. Um, uh, I think it was good for what it was, and I really liked it. And uh, Jericho's, I think, less sloppy. I know I've heard Rory say many times on many shows how sloppy our man Mr. Christopher Jericho is. There was less of that here. He's definitely polished himself. And that says you can see physique-wise, he has clearly, dare I say, bulked up a little bit. The uh, Icra Pro is working on that guy rather nicely back in the day. Um and I think he's he's ready to to do something and be in that in that final, which I think is a great credit to him. Uh, didn't like the fact that we had to get Vince out there. That probably diminished all the work that had gone in for the previous 17 minutes before Vince strolled out and got knocked out. In fact, that's it. He's out and he's back up again, unfortunately. So it did taint the win and diminished it a little bit. But I guess that was the reason Vince was out there to make sure um, that Jericho was going to get to that final, which tells that story. So. In that sense, that worked well. And then we look forward to the final. Spoiler alert for the rest of the month. We're going to see Chris Jericho winning a title match with a bit of interference and try to copy someone else's finishing manoeuvre. But um, (laughs) in contrast to the first match, we knew that Steve was going to win. It was a bit slower. It was a bit more, kind of, I can back to a word that I said earlier on, rudimental. Um, This was totally different. And I thought it was a really nice clash in styles with the two kind of matches that we've seen where this one started rapid. It obviously tailed off a wee bit near the end with the, the finish that was planned and things. But I thought it was a really nice way to have like the kind of slow methodical style with Steve kind of going back to like the ringmaster style where it match and cut technically. But then this one, we've seen the two younger guys, we've seen the rock was obviously going to go out and Jericho was going to go forward. He's apart from cut angle, the the most kind of um kind of athletic, the most kind of well-nourished um, cardiovascular-wise, the the three others that were in the match, and he could show it because he's got the age on his side, even though he has bulked up a wee bit, he's still got that athleticism, he's still got the speed, and I thought that was a really nice clash with the two of them starting quite fast, which kind of took away for the first match, and I thought it was really well. The finish, as I said, the, the copy in the rock bottom and using his opponent's finisher, and then with a sharpshooter as well, and then with Vince coming in, it then kind of curtails it a little bit. But as a second match and a triple, almost a triple threat in main events, I thought it was really good. The the best bit of the match for me was clearly when Jericho got the win, he makes the face, the glass shatters, it just leads you into the next chapter. I mean, how many times do we see you, Rory, when you're doing the news in these shows, when you try and link it into the next story? Jericho links it into the next match we're making that face to make the, the link between the two chapters thought it was really good, the match was decent the only thing it took away for it a wee bit as Pete says was that sharpshooter it was almost like watching an 80s film where you see the young lassie on the bed watching the TV, she's lying on her belly with her hands over her face <laughs> and the legs up and nothing else she just looks as if she's watching like I don't know, fucking uh, reference of the year there, boy. Reference of the year. Uh, she the just year. looks as if she's just watching like a chick flick on the TV with the legs crossed behind her. And the rock looked as if he was comfy. I didn't think he was going to pass out. I thought he was going to fall asleep because he was just watching the TV too late. But um, but no, I thought it was a really good match and it showed the different styles that the the, the two parents have got with Cotton Steve having the 
they all look kind of wrestling technical match and then these two having the high flying kind of speedy match but as I say the end just kind of tapered off a wee bit as we're going to see a, a um, Ray Trailer reappearance at the end of the month when um, you just see these kind of interferences and the copying of the finishers as I say took away a wee bit from me but, um, but no, as a match, I thought it was really good. And it was nice to see the two different matches in the same story, yeah, having see. having different outcomes. But as a as a second act, how many times have we seen it in films where the, the kind of sequel never living up to the first one? I thought this one did, and it told a different story, but it also had an effective outcome. And as I say, the highlight it for me was just that, that ending when the glass shattered and Jericho takes over oh, right. the next chapter. And I mean, not to take away from it too much, really. I know you don't want to kind of focus on the the overarching situation at the minute, but one of the, the last things that I seen before coming into this show was the, the best of Raw on Hogman A, or sorry, New Year's Eve for our <laughs> transatlantic cousins. And it's amazing looking back at Jericho where he was at the start of the year. He showed yeah. the, the match with Benoit, obviously shows what he can do. But some of the TV stuff that he was doing with Stephanie and making jokes about big boobs, and then looking at him now when he's winning the big one against The Rock, he's winning the big one against The Rock again, and he's going into an undisputed title match with Steve Austin. I think it just shows the the kind of regeneration of a character and the, the development of a character that you can make when the office is behind you. Yeah. And it's just been an amazing transformation, and I thought he absolutely knocked it out of the park. Now, that's very important, and we, we will get to it about whether... Jericho is been positioned to be in this role in a few minutes time but whether you think he is or whether you think he isn't there's no doubting that somebody somewhere decided that he deserved to and as you say I would never I've said it so many times on this program I never ever saw this happening even when he got his first real semi main eventish push uh we was in there with the Austin and Benoit stuff in May June never once considered him being a genuine contender for the title as a challenger of the month at best. And now here he is with both of the fuckers, you know, but whatever you think of him and his work, you have to give him credit for that. And we will. So I'll try to in a few minutes time with a few more negatives as well, but this match was really strong. Again, it's another one where the series of matches between these two, now you can't really fault them. This is the type of match that Jericho does best these days he's not a technical masterpiece masterpiece class man as he would probably like to think he is he's not an especially great high flyer but he has now got what we call rightly or wrongly wwf main event style down to a t now he's got his offense down to four or five core moves now he used the outside of the ring well he times his comebacks well now obviously now he's on the heel side of the ledger so his timing of his attacks is really good as well. You know, he knows when to hang back. And Rock could just do this style and will until the end of time, quite frankly. As long as the Rock is still around, he will be able to have these 20-minute semi-brawling style little bit of mat work matches for as many years as he wants to. And he's one of the very best at it. And I'm not damning him with faint praise when I say that. The reason they keep booking the Rock in these matches is because he's bloody great at them. I do wish that if Jericho was going to get a clean win of the two, that this could have been the one, because Rock is beyond bulletproof. Now, he's clad in a suit of armor wherever he goes. And I'm sure if they said, look, Rock, he's going to beat you here with a submission move or whatever, or even with a lion salt, God forbid, I'm sure Rock would have said, yeah, no problem. I'm happy to do that. But they couldn't leave well alone. 
I understand, don't necessarily accept, but understand why they did what they do in about 10 minutes time. But I think it would have meant more if Jericho could have got as close to a clean win as possible here. A low blow off a distraction doesn't fall into that category as much as I might want to try and tell us that it does. And he only got five minutes, to, five seconds, I should say. You should be so bloody lucky. Five seconds to celebrate before, as Dell says, that fantastic visual of the glass smashing, which we're going to go into now. So, match four, the undisputed championship between Austin and Chris Jericho. Before the match can properly start, Angle resurfaces to nail Austin with a chair. Not that Jericho can do much with it, though, because Rock is him as well. So when the bell rings, both combatants are down. This means a double down is teased, and I bet they thought about it. Thankfully, though, Jer Jericho goes for a pin from around about the count of eight, but Austin just gets out of it. Uh, Chris stomps away and hits a flying forearm. Something gets bleeped on my review copy. I'm not sure what that was, and now Stone Cold is up. Yet more head-to-the-buckle shots than the stunner? No, not quite yet. Jericho gets knocked off the apron instead. Into the crowd we go, but only briefly. Another ring post shot, a lot of those today too. And a lot of me saying a lot of those today too, today too. Austin mixes things up a bit by rolling back the mats, but he takes a tumble onto one of them head first. And now Y2J preps the Spanish announce table. Uh, Stunner is blocked and now he tries to go for the walls. However, he gets kicked off onto the exposed floor. Big suplex onto enough of the floor to really matter and now back in. But my goodness me, this crowd apathy is concerning. It's equally unsurprising though, even with the presence of Austin. He slingshots Chris into the turnbuckle about a no-nonsense knockdown for a two. The new world champ cracks into an armbar with some assistance from the ropes. Hebner eventually sees this and kicks him off. Suplex by Jericho and up he goes, but he gets met with a right hand on the way down. Roll up by Y2J for a two, but then straight into the walls of Jericho and Austin fights to get to the ropes. Yes, that's three matches in a row where the face has just managed to get to the ropes on a submission move. Mm. Hebner gets bumped as an audible Triple H chant goes up. January the 7th, everyone. You think they would have told you. Anyway, it's Vince and Nick Patrick out instead. Okay, after Jericho hits a stunner. But Flair is out now to slug the ref down. Vince then sorts out his 50-50 partner. And why are we doing all this gaga in a match for the undisputed championship? And why is Austin going after Vince in a match for the undisputed championship? There's press anyway, and now his version of the walls, and there's no ref. Jericho taps, of course, but now what is Booker T doing here? And as you've just heard, he slogs Austin with the belt and now Hebner is chucked back in. Austin isn't moving. Jericho with the cover. And stone me, he's only done it. The undisputed champion, Chris Jericho. Yes, that one. Vince laughs last and loud and long as he and Jericho get the full-on Argentina 78 ticker tape celebration. 
and has ever been more fitting. <laughs> Del, now I'm going to let you off the lead. You can talk about the match, you can talk about the booking, you can talk about the tournament. You've taken many over the last two hours as it is, but now this is your chance, my man. Off you go. Thanks for the harrowing flashback of Argentina 78. <laughs> Sorry, my man. Sorry. Archie really shake them up when you win the World Cup because Scotland are the greatest football team. Archie Gamble, but it couldn't be England because we didn't qualify. So there we are. Archie Gamble, lest we forget. You'll always have that. Um, <laughs> no, the first things first, I don't want to kind of turn this back into how it was with the women earlier on, but you really would have thought when Jericho was getting this kind of spotlight shown upon him, he wouldn't have put that stupid fucking red highlight in his hair. <laughs> glad you for his, mate, I'm glad you mentioned that. You're going to be the poster boy of this company seemingly for the next few months and you've got, looked as if you've, I nearly went in a very dark visual there about going down on a lady who's maybe not at the opportune moment of the month. But it looks as if he's kind of, it looks as if he's actually going to get that shove. And I mean, I'll be honest, I have now finished my buck fast for the evening, Rory, so I will need to kind of depend on your impeccable memory. But there was a bit that I read in your newsletter this month about there was an angle with Jericho where they get sent out and had to do something on the fly. And he went backstage and Vince said that was impeccable. Yes. When he'd just been thrown, so I can't actually mind what the specifics of it were because of the book fast. But it seems as if he's doing the right things to impress the right people. And he's been given this spotlight now. And it, it made me think of how he done the the kind of one night angle with Triple H and Baby Errol, done the wee turn where he done the fast count. And they almost did it as a tester with the WWF title. I think it was about 18 months ago um, when he won it on the SmackDown. And then Triple H got um, Hebner to reverse the call when it almost as if that, that crowd reaction made them think twice backstage about, oh, we might actually have something with this Jericho boy. Um, I think it's been building, as I say, especially the way that he's kind of developed throughout the year. I think they might have actually made the right decision here. I mean, some of the stuff that was in the sheets about talking about trying to build somebody up with this undisputed title situation, we obviously all thought it was going to be Austin Rocky. And then when we didn't get that, it's like, oh, we might we might not actually be getting what we thought we were getting here. And personally, I thought that added to the the drama of the situation where it's like, well, we thought we were going to get 1A versus 1B. We're not getting that. We've got a Jericho wildcard situation here, taking the finish out of the situation where it was a bit hokey and having Vince out there and then having Rick out there and then having Booker out there. It, it did kind of take away a bit of the shine, but I, I couldn't be happier. And looking at the, the stuff that will come on to with the TVs in the next couple of weeks when you see him at the the last Raw of the year, I think it may have been the last SmackDown actually, when he does the the promo for Beachside and he's at the swimming pool and he's got the two belts sitting there and he cuts the, the interview to camera, which is a very difficult thing to do when it's a pre-tape and you're not talking to a crowd, you're not feeding off a reaction. And he did actually look believable with the two belts, and when you've got it in a situation where you've got an undertaker on the roster, you've got Ric Flair coming back, you've got Austin, you've got Rocky, you're talking about the likes of WCW people that will be coming in in the, the turn of the new year, to have somebody that was, what, three, four years ago, just going through commercial breaks with a list of a thousand and four holds, I believe one of which was an arm bar, um, and where he is now, is just... It, I don't know what he's done backstage, but the work that the young man has put in, the character development that he's made, 
it shows that they were right when they debuted him against probably the most charismatic persona that we have seen in the last decade in The Rock. No Rocky Maivia, no Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. He's absolute peak and they debut him against him, but he can also do it in ring. We've seen him with Benoit, we've seen him with Helmsley, and he can do it at the end of a long night with a very lukewarm crowd and the fact that he was able to deliver. I just think that they've really done exceptionally well, actually getting the believability of this young man over. Um, some of the stuff that was in the sheets is if they want to make him believable and they want to make it, he needs to keep it till at least WrestleMania. I do have a very bad feeling that he might not be able to do that, particularly with the people that may be coming in. And you've still got a Royal Rumble, you're going to be splitting brands. They're maybe going to want to make this into a situation where they can get it on a name to sell pay-per-views, particularly with the 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 the, the critical and audience perception of WrestleMania X7. I've got my doubts he'll be able to do that. I really hope he does. But um, but no, I just thought he was it really was a one of the very few shining lights in this pay-per-view that's going to hopefully be remembered for, as I say, the last hour, because it was really, really good. Um, there was a lot of bad stuff on this, but I thought Jericho really did well. And I know I'm going back to it again, but just the facial between the two matches just made it for me. He gets it. No, I mean, he's not the biggest, he's not the best technical. He is still really, really sloppy. You can see some of the stuff that he has been inspired by Owen Hart. I know Owen was one of his favourites, and God rest him, he's one of mine as well. And you can see the, the inspiration that he's taken from that. But the fact that he can do it as a good guy, the fact he can do it as a bad guy, the fact that he can do it with humour, he can do it seriously. He's he's seemingly taking on this new persona where he's talking about, sorry, Larry, the living legend. He's doing it with the, the larger in life. And listen, I'm as big a fucking Backstreet Boys fan as anybody else, so I'm happy to see him referencing Nick Carter and larger in life. But um, I just think he's one of these people where I think you can throw him anything. It's like the, the proverbial chicken salad and chicken shit situation. Jericho's one of the guys where you can put him in there in a half-hour match with a Chris Benoit and they can batter fuck out each other. You can put him in there in a comedy segment with, with Stephanie McMahon. You can do him in backstage promos with Ric Flair. You can get him out there going one-on-one -on -one in live TV on a debut at a largely unknown audience against The Rock. You can seemingly give him anything he can deliver on it. And I'm just glad that they're using a situation like this to to elevate somebody instead of just going with the tried and tested Austin Rock or just putting it on somebody established. It's nice to see them taking a chance. I can only hope, and it is a hope at the minute because we've all been burned, particularly in the last nine year and uh, last nine months. I can only hope that they are determined to go with it. Um, as I say, the first month. Hasn't he been overly promising with the the kind of hokey finishes and the copy and the, the almost formulaic, come back to what I was talking about, the tag team division, the formulaic um, concept of copying the opponent's finisher, getting a bit of interference and getting the fluky win. I don't want him to turn into one of those champions where he just scrapes through because it doesn't build him as a character. It just continues doubt in the audience's mind. And I know that does obviously create in itself its own drama, but um, I want to see him getting a, getting a run with us because how many years did we see him in Nitro? And it's like, listen, please look at him. 
because he's got charisma. He can do it with cruiserweights. He can do it with heavyweights. Why don't you bump him up? Particularly when it was that top heavy main event. He, he Nash and Goldberg and Hogan. And he was just seemingly pissing in the wind for a long time, struggling. To, I mean, look at the stuff that he did with the, the building the Goldberg feud and making a star out of Ralphus and doing the stuff with the list with Malenko. And he can do it. I mean, that... Hello, Cleveland. No, I mean, he was just doing everything so, so well and he could never get through the glass ceiling. But now he's, I wouldn't say been given the keys to the kingdom because I don't know if you heard, Rory, but somebody's coming back and raw next week on the 7th of January. So there might be some competition there for him. Yeah. But I really just hope we can give him, a, give him a run because God love him. If anybody has tried in the last year when there have been a hell of a lot of disappointments, it's, it's Chris Jericho. Plus, he's dark played for the New York Rangers. And get back to my tiny Tim comments, I'm quite partial to a Ranger. So if anybody <laughs> can do that, I, I believe in the man from Winnipeg. Uh, the New Year's Day match soon anyway. Just tell just everybody's uh, listened to this show. Peter, a ringing endorsement there. Chris Jericho as champion again completely different to the last comments on Chris Jericho as undisputed champion which you will get to hear again about a week after this one I'll leave you hanging there so Pete what side of the fence do you fall on here that Jericho undisputed champion how they got there what they did to get there this match floor is yours my boy yeah I think I mean, we've gone over the fact that the way that the show was booked I went differently we've been there we won't go any further mm-hmm. because I think it was a good triple threat we had a good end to the show it was it built. Um, I think it's fresh, isn't it? It's, it, it? We didn't probably expect it coming in because it's been rammed down your throat. So it was going to be Rock Austin, and then you could just take your pick and flip a coin, and who's going to win? Win that? I feel a little bit sorry for. And talk about from a booking point. I'm not going to do an Eric Landstrom and fantasy book this whole scenario out too much, but obviously, it would have been nice to just have Jericho win the world title and be a world champion for dare I say a month, dare I say a couple of months, and see how that works really give him a chance to have a belt around his waist that means something more than he's had previously and let um, Austin be obviously the champion of the world. But because of obviously this split and what's going on and all the stuff that's gone in the past, they've done this universal and, and they're bringing it, it uh, together. So I think it would have been better for Jericho and he may have got you know a chance to really prove the faith that's been given to him uh, seemingly by Vince in the back and all the stuff that's been going on. But Obviously, he's won, won the biggest, you know, like, like the, the promo said, Ric Flair was never undisputed champion. You know, Hulk Hogan was never this. You know, all these absolute megastars of wrestling have never been undisputed world champion in, in their time. And, and Chris Jericho, who would have thought that name plucked out of there, is the first to do it. Oh, OK, it's the way that the situation is. But he is. And he can always claim fame to that regardless. But it was a shame that there was so much going on at the end. It did feel a bit dare I say it, WCW main event, you know, <laughs> wasn't it? With so much going on at the end, with, I mean, with Nick Patrick even running out, there's a wonderful callback to so many memories of, uh, of those main events. And, um, Booker T, you know, doesn't work here, sets up Austin, but why are we setting up a new feud when the undisputed championship is on the line? That's where Jericho must be delighted, but in the back of his mind, he's thinking, hmm, Am I second, third fiddle to Vince Flair, Booker T, Austin? You know, and actually, I'm 
the undisputed world champ. I've just beaten The Rock and Steve Austin in one night. There's not many people can lay that claim to fame now, and I very much doubt in the future it's ever going to happen again. But you come away from it thinking, hmm, that's a bit worrying. But he's not lost in the shuffle because I think he's got enough about him to, to rise above that. But as you say, we've got our good friend Triple H coming back. Uh, there's lots of people there. You know, Taker's still knocking around. You know, yeah, Triple H is back on January the 7th. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, just to make exactly. it down, Rory, sorry, is Helmsley coming back soon? Yeah, Helms, I've never yeah, seen yeah, uh, on TV. Helmsley's back on, I think, January the 7th. January the 6th right. January the 6th I, I'm part of this show because that's all we were being looked at weren't we for the whole <laughs> show but there we go he didn't arrive thank god um, yeah so I guess it, it you know I think the cage match overall was decent afterwards you know blade job he took a bit of a beating it, it, it looked good a bit of a courageous kind of kind of performance I think he's he, he's survived December there I say after this he, he's got through it he's still as, as Rory noted in the uh the headlines he's still the champion didn't take it off him the next night on raw and do that bait and switch and flip which is what they could have done quite quickly but they didn't what january looks like what february looks like i guess that's the beauty of this show guys you have to come and listen to us next month and moving forward to see what jericho looks like but thank you very expertly much. plugged pete don't bother um, that's the way but it'll be interesting for us all to see how this how this pans out and how jericho handles that you know because Having two belts strapped around your waist or around your neck, whoever wants to wear them, is is very important, and this is huge. But obviously, we're going to get to to Ric Flair in a bit at the end of the month. We've now got that lined up as the biggest match probably in the company, weirdly maybe going forward. Um, Austin and Booker T, well, Christ, what they've done the rest of this month was absolutely crazy and probably overshadowed most of everything that was going on for the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. But it should have been really about Jericho just standing there doing what Jericho does best and talking about basically how, how great he is and using that that kind of, Dale mentioned, his, his character WCW, that you know he can talk and he can really get it over and he can get himself over and he can really almost annoy the living shit out of you the way he is. But when you've got two belts around your waist, who gives a shit? You can be as annoying as you want to be, can't you? Because you are undisputed world champion. So... Yeah, I think it was it was it was good. It was creative. It was different. I mean, it would have been not not boring to see Rock Austin, but we've been there. We've been there. We've been there. We've been there. We've not had someone like Jericho in the main event of the biggest match you would say there's probably ever been in this sense because we've now got a unified uh, undisputed champion. So yeah, a bit. I don't know. Jericho's he's going to have to really. Oh, you might have to kiss Vince's ass a little bit, I suppose, in the back <laughs> to, keep, to keep the belt, maybe. I don't know, that's going to be on television, but let's see. But fair fair play to him and fair play to, to Vince for doing something different. I think we've been crying out for a little bit of this, haven't we? So why not? I think that's the most important thing to note here, Pete, and I'm glad you brought it up there because everybody expected and slash wanted Austin Rock in the main event. Of course they did. I'm not going to pretend I didn't think we were going to see that knowing the federation even as we do i still thought they were going to do it and yes i wanted to see it yes i would have had questions on this program because i read too much into things as we said that oh yes how would it work if you're doing face face on a b show and austin was just a heel a month ago and i would have been happy to address those points as we got there and i thought i would have to do so and who's going to do the job or whatever but we didn't get that and whilst i entirely understand and in many cases looking at what 
pretty much to a man and woman I've read because said, well, why didn't they give us Austin Rock here? As much as I entirely understand those criticisms and share a great many of them myself, they've gone completely the opposite direction. And to such an extent that a week before the pay-per-view, Jericho wasn't even the person earmarked to win this. It was actually going to be Kurt Angle. So Austin Rock, at least backstage, was never on the cards here. They were very happy to make us think it was going to be, but they made their decision as soon as they put the Undisputed Championship down that it was going to be Kurt Angle who won it. But apparently just by virtue of his work since he turned heel at Survivor Series and the day after, you know, Jericho did enough there in that two or three weeks for the WWF to change course. And I think that's admirable. You know, we bag on the WWF so often for either sticking to things when they're not working or just making rush panic decisions. This falls right between the two of those. They've taken a different approach and one that I'm giving them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. They feel they can go somewhere with. Now, it remains to be seen what that is because Jericho has won the world title in the death slot. He's won it in December, which is normally keeping the belt warm territory. And when Triple H comes back on, I think it's January the 7th, um, and will almost certainly win the Royal Rumble. I don't think that's they're going to change course on that one very often. So tune in next month to find out. And I presume that's where all this is going to end in three months' time in Toronto. But The Rock did not need to be undisputed champion. Doesn't need that. He's a fucking Rock. Steve Austin doesn't need to be undisputed champion. Steve Austin. Chris Jericho now. One of the first things you're going to think about him is undisputed champion. On that topic, I don't like, love, adore the fact that he won it in such a screwy fashion with Vince and Flair and Patrick and Booker and the Peanut Gallery and the 82nd Airborne and Uncle Tom Cobley and all getting involved. But at the same time, this is how WWF book their heels. They're not allowed to win cleanly. And that's not me supporting that position at all i wish he, no heels can win now if you really want to piss off your fans have to beat your favorites by pinfall or submission in the middle of the ring that's going to get people paying their money in a couple of months after you know to see their their guy get their revenge so it can happen but again it's one of those in the federation it's much like the way they book the women i don't see it's going to change so if you're going to do it you might as well go all in with it and this is real sink or swim stuff for jericho here now and he's had two and a half years to get to this position whilst conversely probably deep down not thinking he was ever going to get anywhere near it and even three or four weeks ago he probably wasn't going to be but they put their faith in him already as i just said a couple of minutes ago this one's probably going to end in three months time and i think those three months are going to go very quickly so he needs to keep himself in the shop window from now until wrestlemania presuming he faces triple h there is one i don't I wouldn't rule out him losing it long before then, but I think they're going to give him a little bit of a run like they did with Angle last year. And I don't think they're going to take it off him before, but I've been wrong on that one before. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't be entirely shocked if by the time you hear this podcast, he's not champion, but he's been treated well enough this month on TV that they're giving him a shot. And it all matters for me now, when we come out of WrestleMania in the middle of March, what do they have for Jericho then? If then he gets bumped back down the card, and he's pottering around in the mid-card, 
as a fairly generic heel again, then I think we can look back on this and say, okay, maybe that was a mistake and he was just the guy for somebody else to come back and beat. But that hasn't happened yet. We don't know that's going to happen. It's our own natural cynicism coming to the fore here because that's what we do in this program. Even with doings of positivity like Dell, we can't quite help ourselves a lot of the time. But this was very, very refreshing. And it was a genuine surprise. And a surprise they're doing something with. And they have to be commended for that. It's not what I would have done. It's not what I wanted to see. But they've taken the chance. And it is a risk. Much like turning Austin nine months before. It is a risk. And they could have played it safe. But one of the benefits of having no real competition, you can afford to really sail a bit close to the wind. It's not really going to hurt you. They're a public company. They're not in danger of going out of business again anytime soon. The others have fallen by the way, so they're still very much there. So they can afford to take these decisions. And if they fail, they fail. But I hope this one succeeds. And a success will be Chris Jericho being seen as a genuine main event player for a good few years to come because I think now he's got the tools to do it I think his promos have definitely improved when you watch his work as champion throughout the month very confident on the mic very assured it's not just an outright repeat of his 98 WCW heel work which doesn't fit a champion anyway as entertaining as that, as that was couldn't do that here wouldn't buy him as a champion he is somebody I want to see get his ass kicked in the best possible way now I want to see him lose the belt in the best possible way that's what a heel champion should be and the early signs are good We'll see who he defends against at the Rumble. It looks like that's going to be the Rock, according to the sheets. Although that hasn't been confirmed on TV yet. Good, strong defense there. Then we'll probably head to WrestleMania. Then 2002 could in many ways be Chris Jericho's year. And that's going to upset a lot of people. Probably going to upset a lot of people on this podcast as well. But right now, at least, I'm not one of them. And I've been one of his sharpest critics, let's say. A critical friend, I'm going to call myself. Because his in-ring work does have, has needed tightening up. But I think he's got there and it's going to make though that, that shot of him with the world title belt, him selling of Austin coming back out and him and Vince with the ticket tape at the end. Those moments are going to stick with me for a long time. And that's the hallmark of a quality pay-per-view, <laughs> be it necessarily good quality, necessarily bad quality. When you think of Vengeance 01, that's what you're going to say. And Muir is loving that. And so am I. He's brought me around after these two hours. Still got to rank it out of 10, though. And we're going to do that now for the pay-per-view. So. Pete, going to let Del stew on this one. Your score rating out of 10 and your overall thoughts on the Vengeance pay-per-view. So, I originally came in at like sort of four and a half, five. I think I've got to give it a little bit of so that last hour and, and the Taker match. So, I'm going to come in at a six. Now, that may be a bit higher than you, but you two guys, I'm not quite sure. That's why I've gone first, I suppose. But I think based on the last the last hour, the fact we had a different ending, we had that that fresh finish, I really did like the, the Taker RVD match. You can't not fault the last three matches on the card. Whether they should have been in, in that order, fair enough, but you can't fault them for that instance. So we've had four pretty decent matches there in a WWF December pay-per-view. Can't really say a lot fairer than that. So I think a six is a is a fair shout for me. I, I, I'm going to go back to the, the score rating that I always seem to go with, Ori, and it's the champ manager, player of the match situation where six seems to be the bog standard. And I think Pete's called it pretty accurately with that. Um, if you look at this show from the last hour, I would say it's a solid eight or nine. If you look at this show with the first two hours, it's a solid two or three. So six is probably the bang average for it. 
undercard, you've got the Hardys that I really like, the story with Lita, which was good. You've got the Taker Van Damme situation that hopefully will be elevating Van Damme and gives Taker a new XT's character. Um, combine that with the last hour, I would probably have heard slightly better than the six. I'll go six and a half. It's not exactly a far cry greater. But a couple of undercard matches, um, the likes of Albert and fucking Scotty Too Haughty and the, the, the lassies just getting fucking three minutes and they'll watch a minute is get your puppies out for the lads. Um, I'd say six and a half overall is pretty fair. But as you say, Ross, the, the, the lasting images of this is Jericho pretty much all over it. The, the stuff with Flair, where he looked almost like an equal, the the visually going in for Act 2 to Act 3, that main event trifecta, the the winning it with Vince and almost seemingly getting the stamp of approval for the company, they're, they're the main takeaways. The only thing is, obviously, they etch it out when we're going to be coming on to, well, we spoke about earlier, the brand split and what we think is going to happen in 2002. Do you really want to begin into two shows with one championship? You're giving them to WrestleMania. Listen, are we going to get to August, are we going to get to January seventh, maybe January fourteenth, Raws, and they're going to split these titles again? Maybe that's me catching your negative vibes here, but I'll, I'll go with the positives as we are in December and the fact that you still got the belt after what twenty-two days. I'll take that as a positive. <laughs> six and a half overall. We might have to. I'm going to go six and a half as well. So there. I don't think it's a six and a half in-ring show, even allowing for the final hour as good as the penultimate and anti-penultimate matches were. This was tough to get through the first two hours, even as much as I really did like the Hardy matches, uh, the Hardy match and the hardcore Hardy, Hardy and hardcore match. <laughs> thought about that one a couple of times. As much as I did like those in a vacuum, they felt like they belonged somewhere else because this show was predicated on the undisputed championship and so it should be and if they had started with a title match and put it in the middle and had another one at the end like we said when we first started this review then i think i would have paid a bit more attention watched them a bit less passively matches like that as much as i like them when we broke them down i still like them now i think i would have been even more into them like a real i like Randy Savage and Crush from WrestleMania 10, for example, partly because of the way that show is structured. If we'd had all the title matches at the end and we had Randy Savage and Crush earlier before all of them, I probably wouldn't be quite so enthusiastic about it. And I would probably pull up Savage on the way he didn't tie Crush to the little scaffolding at the back. But we move on. So I'm going to go six and a half out of ten for this show. It's going to be a very memorable one. You had three huge world title matches between who are their four biggest names and stars at this point. Make no mistake. And you've crowned somebody an undisputed champion. And that is a rather lofty title. And we know how the WWF always like to big themselves up. that They are the company who now always have been in the position to award somebody the undisputed championship. But now they've done it and they've got fairly decent kayfabe reasons for doing so. And that's why Vengeance 01 will almost in spite of itself be seen as an important show. And it's a recommended one in that regard alone even before you get to some really fine in-ring work. I said at the top and I'll say it again, this show was frustrating because it could have been an all-timer. If they tweaked it a little bit here, match here, match there, changed the order around, given a few more a little, few more minutes here and there, egged Jericho celebration, then you could be looking at 
close to an eight and possibly a sleeper for pay-per-view of the year as such it does fall short of that but not by that much in my reckoning so i'm going to go a solid six and a half out of ten for vengeance so one
So for all that you've given me, and God only knows you put my feet back on earth in 1991, I have always wanted to ask you one question. Who are you? Diver, tell me how to wrestle. I'm Ric Flair. You're missing. Who are you? Who are you? Diver, tell me how to wrestle a match. You might be the greatest promoter of all time, but you would never talk down to Ric Flair about wrestling. unstable. Look at him. Emotional. No, unstable. Look. He's been waiting a decade to get that off his chest came. Ten years. Well, he needs to go see some professional help. What? So guess what? Just to see where I stood in this great company of ours, I went through all the contracts. And I happen to pull one that reads Vince McMahon, owner slash wrestler. Well, wait a minute now. What are you talking about? That means you're double dipping. <laughs> and it also means that you're going to wrestle at the Royal Rumble. What? Wait a minute. He, he, he's wrestling. One on one. Wait a minute. Then who's got the balls to step into the ring with me? Uh-oh. After two hours and 23 minutes of recording, we've only done one pay-per-view review so far, so I'm going to call an editorial decision on the fly and say, gentlemen, speed it up a bit, would you? Because I've got to edit this show and I've got to edit the end-of-year review show that's three and a half hours long. I had microphone problems. Eric had microphone problems. I've got lacy rants to cut down. So just <laughs> so what we'll do is I'm going to mix everything together here. So what everybody will have heard over the last 10 minutes, I will have sprinkled in some audio of some of the things that did happen on TV over the last three weeks, taking us up to Christmas. You did get in there, the Booker T, Steve Austin supermarket stuff, which you don't want me to talk about. What a waste of Austin. There's nothing to latch on to there. It's such a pale imitation of his heel stuff. It doesn't even count. And Pete, because you wouldn't have forgiven me if I hadn't put it in there, I dropped in Ric Flair's real promo on Vince McMahon right at the end of the year on the final SmackDown, which is going to lead to a Ric Flair-Vince McMahon match at the Royal Rumble, because of course it is. So for the final 10 minutes or so, gents, this is going to be a bit of free discussion about what we think is going to happen in 2002. We have caught, well, we know, everybody else might not know, Triple H is coming back on January the 7th. So that's uh, something that is happening in 2002. Is it? Yeah, I'm just going to give, I think we should just pause for a couple of seconds to let everybody take that in, because that's probably news to them. I'm going to repeat, Triple H, January the 7th. January <laughs> <laughs> which i get the date wrong but we've got that we've got the possibility of hall and nash coming in i didn't mention it in the news but a certain mr t belayer esquire 
is once again making noises. When does he never? But he's saying he wants to fight Vince McMahon. Okay, he's wanted to do that for the last eight years for different reasons, but just putting it on the record. So, gents, with everything falling into place, Jericho is undisputed champion. Triple H coming back on January the 7th. Rock and Austin not going anywhere for a while. Angle still in the mix. What do you reckon we're going to be getting, even though I pretty much spoiled the WrestleMania main event during the Vengeance review, what do you think we're going to get for the next few months, uh, even mentioning possibility of Flair and Vince, because we're not getting a chance to preview that match anywhere else? I just want to know what your thoughts are and what we might have for the first few months of the year. Shall I, I go first? Go for it, go first. I'll, but yeah. I'll, I'll try and be as, as brief as I can, because maybe... Um... So just going to Flair, I've got to mention, obviously, because, you know, you, you've, you've teased me in there really nicely and you've done that previously as well. So I think he was basically almost nothing since he started. The opening promo was Flair, OK, and then he was just a side act to Vince for pretty much the rest of the month until the 27th, when I guess he made those scripted com- uh, comments regarding the fact that basically WF was the best is the best was always the best nwa was nothing okay he's been paid some some some, some good dollars to say it i don't quite really think he believes that but getting away no, Fla- that Fla- really I say, flair did get some heat from certain quarters for saying that but i'm not sure he really believes it does he really give a shit either probably doesn't really also very because, true you know, but i did like the way it ended and the very real way that he he, he critiqued vince that how dare vince tackle Ric Flair on wrestling and how to be a wrestler and I thought that was very real and that was really Flair finally came alive and you could see the energy in his face we finally got the Flair stomping around the ring looking to take all his clothes off at one point you know this the whole Flair in ring styley that finally arrived the only trouble is we're going to get Vince versus Flair which I don't know what that looks like and who's wearing a t-shirt and who's not in that match god only knows because Vince is probably still absolutely jacked to the hilt so i'm not sure how much work rick's been doing in the background I guess we're going to find out that's uh, that's something i suppose but it's very early i mean i saw that they were looking at rick flair maybe would he mess in about three four five six months but we're already probably going to get this at the rumble are we or you know i don't know that'll be that'll be interesting alongside triple h's glorious return to potentially winning that um and then moving January forward 7th. Sorry, January 7th. Sorry, yes, of course. And then looking at the future, I think obviously being on those end of WCW and the invasion shows where we couldn't talk about Nash and Hall and Flair and Hogan, I suppose, because they were had all these contracts that were still paying them fortunes of money that they were never going to get paid out of. And why would they? Now, all of a sudden, they're all becoming available and they're, they're quite big names, obviously, whether they're reliable names, whether they're, but they are huge names in, in wrestling and they will they will pop a pop a number there or say pop a crowd they will create some interesting storylines so that's interesting at the same time terrifying i suppose that kevin nash and alike mr mr hogan creative control etc etc wanders back in who knows what that looks like for the people like austin and the rock and jericho i mean how does Jericho stack up to Kevin Nash in, in the background in the in the locker room? That would be interesting. Um, but I think there's something something there. Um, the fact they've only got one world championship now, I think Dale made the point, what does that look like then? Because you're going to have two shows, split rosters, so are they going to have to contend with one champion defending on both shows, which is not, I don't think, the idea, or maybe it is the idea for the belts just to be available all over the shop. 
but they were trimming down the belts, I believe. And now we've got two shows where they might have to extend them back out again into the United States and intercontinental, blah, 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 blah. Who knows? So that's a bit of a, a thing to sort out. They've got to look at the roster. We mentioned it right at the beginning of the show, the tag team division, the is there a women's division? You know, you've got hardcore, the European title. You've got all these. This, this needs to be sorted out. That what show is going to get what? What's it going to look like? If Flair loses to Vince, does then Flair not be the co-owner of this of this company and doesn't then run, dare I say, SmackDown? So I'm sure Vince is going to get Raw. Clearly, what does that look like? Triple H is a looming. Obviously, we know he's coming back. That's a looming figure, which probably means Stephanie's going to come back. Which eventually means probably Shane will return, and then probably Linda, and then God knows who else is going to arrive back, and then we're going to have Nash, Hall, Hogan, Shane, Stephanie. All these, I just like ooh, but at the same time, I guess at least we've got that all available, and, and there's so much out there that can happen. It's whether they can ride around it or work it out, make it work for the best. Maybe not accept the bullshit that probably Nash and particularly people like Hall. And obviously Hogan's creative demands might bring would be very interesting how he navigates that Vince because he's the boss. Obviously, he owns this company and he's got the biggest creative control. But how is he going to handle all those egos when they all arrive back on pretty good money? And I'm only working 10 dates, brother, and all that. It's going <laughs> to be interesting. So, again, I'm going to plug the show, guys, you know, January, February, March, April, May. Wow. We, we've got some interesting times ahead of us. So, uh, I hope so. watch watch this space and I'll, I'll leave it there Del, your the final audience. blast of popularity a uh, popularity positive not always popularity but positivity for the year on you go the only way that we can resolve this i reckon is going to three hours with rods and creative control contracts i think that's just going to solve all the problems for everybody um on the flair promo love that same as pete obviously he's a bigger fan than than me, I've got my own kind of reservations about Flair. I'm always Team Douglas on the Ric Flair situation. But um, the, the I, fact that... the fact a crowded field, eh? <laughs> the fact that he's, that he's 25 years now removed for the, the plane crash and he's still able to do these things. We've seen a very fleeting moment from uh, Mrs Foley's baby boy this month when he almost seems a bit like Woody at a Toy Story. These days, where it's just like pull the string and up the up the uh, the decibels in the promo, and that's him done. Flair can still make you care. I mean, Bobby Heenan had probably his finest call at the '92 Royal Rumble when he was talking about it being fair to Flair. I don't think it's necessarily being fair to Flair. I think it's Flair makes you care is the rhyme for me because he does. He can make these promos, and you see the tear in the eye. And he literally mentioned it word for word with Gene Okerlund at the 92 Rumble when he had the tear in his eye. And you can tell it because he can he can dive into that and you know there's some dark stuff hiding behind those eyes when that tear's coming out. But he's one of the few that can make you feel when he feels something. And that's the key to me for performers when they get to the twilight of their career. Some of them don't have the physical attributes anymore, but he still has the mental attributes. And as I say, as much as I've got my reservations about Richard Fleer, the character, um, because he's a very dark persona, I believe. Um, I'm not going to get into that too much, but he can he can still deliver as a performer. And the only reservation that I've got about that is we've seen a, 
a certain Paul Lee dangerously almost cut a promo in November and we've seen very little of him airwise since. I don't want that to turn into the same situation with Flair. I don't think it will considering we've got this brand split coming but I hope he's there to deliver the kind of interviews in the long term because that's where your money is when you're bringing in a Ric Flair at that age. He's what, pushing 50 these days. So um, that's where your money is with him. But getting into 2002, as we want to kind of briefly touch on, Laurie, the, the people that's coming in, I don't know about the Scott Hall situation as, as somebody that's dealt with, with addiction in their own personal life. I entirely empathise with them, but from a business point of view, and especially a public limited company point of view these days, I don't know where there's the mileage in that. That's then got a domino effect on Nash, where what is Nash without Hall? Because Nash without Hall is diesel to me. And it's no a it's no a coincidence the uh, the graph on popularity of the product when Diesel was your world champion. I don't want it to go into that, especially if he's now going to be diesel with creative control and with a, a favoured nations contract or whatever else comes out in the in the sidelines of the small print and that. But um, it's interesting where we're going to be going in 2002, who's going to be coming in. I've, I, I personally was of the, the mindset going back to nine months ago, for surely we've got to get at least X18, they're going to call it, or 18, I don't know what they want to call it. But um, I, I would have thought you're going to get at least one of Austin Goldberg or Sting Undertaker. Surely they must have one of them at WrestleMania, even if it's just a one-off. I know there's obviously the top in the sheets about contracts and money and dates and just general personality. Stings obviously get his own kind of sideline. We're talking about Shawn Michaels finding faith. Stings of that mind these days. Goldberg seems to be more happy with his, his automobile collection, so I don't know how much either of them would want to come in. But if they can put money on the table for a one-off, the two of them would certainly draw money with, with Goldberg, Austin or Sting Taker. Um, I don't like the fact that Mr. Belair is uh, putting out his usual, his usual kind of hints that he wants this and he wants this brother and it's not going to work for me, brother, and just kind of hooring himself out, basically, as he's very penchant to doing. But um, it's very interesting, the, the year coming forward, just to put a bookmark on it. I think Jericho's in a good position. We've got the likes of Ben White to come back. I believe Hunter Helmsley's coming back at some point in the next month. Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of names in there. I just hope that they can manage it perfectly because look at where the Undertaker's been in the last couple of years. He's now your hardcore champion. Dare I say there's not a lot of the people that would put themselves into that position. They would want to be closing the show or nothing. I just hope, as you said, Ori, that it's that it's a strong office and there is certainly a strong chairman that can hopefully manage these personas, but it's at least, if nothing else, it's going to be interesting, despite our results of the, the tag division, women's division. I think they can make the most of it. I just hope it's a better year than what 2001 was been for all the, the fanfare that we could have had in March this year. It's kind of petered out and petered out and petered out. Hopefully 2002 can be of a better, a better delivery than the anticipation, because I think that's where we fell off in 2001. The anticipation yeah. outweighed the delivery. Hopefully 2002 can be the reversal of that. Yeah, I, I'm going to give them credit here that I'm not absolutely certain they deserve, but if they do bring in the likes of Paul Nash, I'm not even going to mention Hogan. There's no assurance or even scuttlebutt that Hogan is coming in, by the way. This is just him flying kites. 
occasions. <laughs> so I was very close to you know where on that situation. So I, don't worry, everybody. If, you, if you're one of the non hulkamaniacs who listens to this program, I most of you. But Hall and Nash are, are fairly close. And Triple H is coming back on something like January the 7th. I don't know. I'm going to give the Federation a little bit of credit here. I'm not sure they deserve, but the pressure might be off slightly on this occasion. And if, because the likes of Hall and Nash, whether we like it or not, now they are going to ensure that they are being booked to their strengths. Okay. What they believe their strengths are, right? You think? <laughs> and <laughs> go back and listen to any show from 96 onwards, the WCW show, and you will hear the problems we have with those. There's a reason I don't go back and watch those pay views and TV, okay? Because other than the first couple of months of NWO stuff, I don't want to be reminded of it. But they're going to want to look strong for obvious reasons, as we all know, okay? Nobody listening to this program doesn't know that. So if that is the case, then maybe now you do finally have a, a decent level of opponents as far as believability is concerned for some of your biggest names and the likes of rock austin aren't going to just steamroll them and destroy them now, i'm not sure i want to be party to some of the discussions backstage involving who's going to go over if any of these people do end up facing each other now i hope those discussions are taking place now because they're not going to be scored on the back of a cigarette packet but if you wanted to try to tell another story and they're talking about it in the sheets that it might be a click versus WWF or something like that, then you've at least got the people involved now who own a position to make a stand. And they're not just going to be trampled into the dirt in two or three months. OK, doesn't mean again, it doesn't mean I especially want to see it. I'm not staking my own claim here for what I'm hoping we're going to get over the last three months. I'm just trying to be positive if you like and if they do come in then at least you're going to get believability on screen we'll leave the off, off screen stuff for you know the 20 minutes of news we do at the beginning of each month and i'm sure there'll be lots of it if paul and nash and the like do come in but they're going to have some support let's say that we've got triple h coming back on round about january the 7th the yeah. hbk thing yeah. yes right the hbk thing let's wait and see on that he's just been Getting involved there, access, SmackDown, WWF, New York, being a bit coy here and there, I wonder. But bringing all these people back at one go, especially those people with all their own connections to each other, I'm sure there will be people in the locker room looking over their shoulder nervously. They have every right to do so. I would be doing so myself. And all of that said, I just think things are different now. The WWF are the only game in town. Vince can probably afford to play these people off each other to a certain degree, not to the level where anybody's going to cut and run and take their ball because where the hell are they going to go? So he can afford to push them as far as they're able to be pushed. And that could make some really interesting, fascinating television, although I'm glad I'm not going to be a part of it. But for now, we roll on. Royal Rumble show coming up in a few weeks' time, which I'll be presenting. And Triple H is back on January the 7th. Bookmark it, bookmark it. And that does bring us back to December 2021. I never thought we'd get back there, but it is another year in the books. <laughs> uh, one of us, the last chapter is always the longest one, isn't it? I find, you know, just, just are they going to kiss? That's all I want to know. Are they going to kiss? We've done two, two hours, 40 minutes. We all kissed at the end. Pete, thank you so much for your travels on this show, my friend, and all of your contributions this and every year. No worries, to absolute pleasure, Rory. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a 
a roller coaster of a year this year, isn't it? In terms of two thousand, yeah, certainly has. And, uh, one of the one of the weirdest ones we've gone through, but we were looking forward to what was going on with it, and now we're at the end of it, and then we move forward. So yeah, always great to be a part of the show. We're looking forward to next year. Bill, it is great to have you back in rotation, my man. Don't don't leave it two months next time, eh? I always love <laughs> the fact that I am seemingly on the Nash twelve dates a month contract. At least some serious long contract long. renegotiation right. here. I, I need to take this more thing on that. More ring time than anybody, even <laughs> on my minimal dates. And I know you're a great fan of the culinary questions that I raise. I, I absolutely am, my friend. Yes. One further more to my uh, toast discussion with Yolly the other month. <laughs> Heinz 57 varieties, right? <laughs> These days you've got everything. You've got fucking Worcester sauce that they've bought over. You've got the garlic sauces. You've got sweet chilli sauces, barbecue sauces. Go to Jim Ross's website and buy his barbecue sauce, by the way. He could be doing with the business these days. How come they bring out all these new sauces, but it's still 57 varieties? Is there a ranking system where if they bring out a new one, one of them gets debunked, like they do away with Hollandaise sauce when they bring out a new sweet chilli? How is it still 57 varieties when there's so many now in the shelves that weren't there before? I, I, I wish I knew how it worked. I genuinely don't know how it worked. I know the boys tried to explain it to you a couple of months ago, but I'm still, you know, if I was working for Heinz, I wouldn't want to be stuck at 57 varieties. I think it's just a gimmick, guys. You see to move on with your lives. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fucking Mr. Kefe with the sauce world. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all about the sauce. It's American BS, isn't it? Let's be honest. Sorry, American listeners. Love you all. That's, that's me for the year. I'll leave it on that note, Rory. <laughs> okay, Dad. You, you got back to 57 and a half varieties there. I was hoping we were going to get something, I don't know, uh, that... The ham you get in Christmas hampers, you know, ye oldie oak ham, you know, it's in that tin and nobody ever eats it. And you stick it in the cupboard and then you get to July and you notice it's there rotting at the back and you throw it in a sandwich. And <laughs> But then that's not really a bad thing because we all do that. If anybody, does anybody still get Christmas hampers? You know, unless it's really Fortnum and Mason. I suppose I got one from work this year, but it's basically just packets of crisps. Proper crisps, though, not Aldi stuff. <laughs> a bottle of Prosecco in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you managed to somehow raise the tone to go for the top of the tomato sauce to Portman and Mason. I was going Portman to say, and Mason, oh yes. This is the captain of the ship, <laughs> Yeah, here I am coming from the study behind me, as you can see, you know, the fucking clothes have got piled on mile high. There we are, yes, you know. <laughs> Nobody can see that, though, so I could be delivering this from the mansion for all you know. Anyway, I'm going to be editing it from here now, and that's fucking it for the year, because I've had enough of 2001. <laughs> I really fucking have. 2002 is going to be demented anyway, so let's just get to that as quickly as we can. But thanks, Pete. Thanks, Del, so much. Your contributions are just the best. It's just a delight to have you on. Everybody, as always, who's contributed, who's presented, who's listened, most importantly, throughout 2001. It's been the wildest year I think we've ever had it's been a difficult one at times too because i know a lot of people on these shows were not very happy indeed even though we obviously knew it was coming that we'd be leaving wcw and ecw behind because they were vital parts of this show and we would have three shows for you a month for that very reason and that did go and certainly for me it did take some getting used to back in about april may but i think we're cooking now so much for wwf is going to give us over the next 12 months anyway for better or worse and we're really looking forward to getting cracked into that very soon as i say do watch out for the end of year review awards show i just can't let 2001 go yet but i have already recorded it at least that will be dropping on new year's eve 
But until then, we will see you in 2002. So from Del Muir, from Pete Kimber, I've been Rory McNamara. Thank you so much for listening to this and any show you may have heard over the last eight and a half years. But remember, Triple H is back on January.